goes is a chance, there won't be a fight. Stone Powder! If we don't go in that, there's no chance! None! You understand? Coward! You've done everything you can do! Save yourself! If the worst happens... You stay alive! If they don't kill you, they'll take you north up to Huron land. You spit, do you hear? You strong! You survive! Stay alive, no matter what occurs. I will find you. No matter how long it takes, no matter how far. I will find you. Welcome to You're Tall, But I'm Standing in Front of You, the podcast where two friends circling the drain of academia examine the cultural detritus of the 20th century. I'm Devin. I'm Ethan. How's it going, buddy? Uh, it's going great. Good, good. Uh, you're feeling good, I bet. Absolutely. We had a great Eagles win last night, as uh, was predicted on the other episode. <laughs> that is a movie that starts with the last. I don't know why we're doing these two in a row. Uh, oh, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's just I, we are both approaching the end of grad school and we are just like having this like kind of death drive compulsion towards the <laughs> the uh, ends and, and, and the diminishments. <laughs> uh, but uh, we uh, have a very exciting episode this week uh, in what is our kind of mid-season finale. Uh, we are joined by the folks from Better Red Than Dead. Uh, which you may have heard me on their podcast. I uh, was on the episode to talk about Talented Mr. Ripley. Uh, it is the not just the best literature podcast. It is the only good literature <laughs> podcast. Uh, the, the uh, you know, a podcast that if, if you're like, what would you're told, but I'm standing in front of you be like if they uh, actually prepared <laughs> and <laughs> thought about what they were doing. Uh uh, it would be a lot like Better Red Than Dead. Uh, so, uh, Tristan, Megan, and uh, Katie, please uh, say hi and introduce yourselves. I'm, believe it or not, I'm going to do our intro too, just so we are the same dudes. So, um, so I have to do recording voice. Hi, welcome to Better Red Than Dead, a literature <laughs> podcast from the left perspective. I'm Megan. I'm Tristan. I'm Katie. And today we are on. You're tall, but I'm standing in front of you because uh, one time I bullied myself onto this podcast and now I bullied all three of us onto this podcast. <laughs> not at all. Um, not at all. <laughs> uh, yeah, we have a books podcast and we're very, very proud of it. And I was talking to a friend on Friday 
about my publication record. And I said, more people have listened to uh, our Pride and Prejudice episode than have listened to everything I've ever written put together. So that's not to say anything mean about my publishing. It's to say nice things about leave grad school, do a podcast, (laughs) become ungovernable. That's all I'm here to say. (laughs) Or go back to grad school, Katie, and still do a podcast. That's true. (laughs) Yeah, you can leave, you can come back, you can still be podcasting the entire time. The important thing is just do a podcast, whatever, (laughs) whatever's going on. Uh, And of course, yes, I forgot to mention, but of course, Megan has been on the podcast before. If you remember our episode about the Warriors. Uh, Mm -hmm. So we're thrilled to have her back. We're thrilled to have Tristan and Katie here. Uh, And of course, the reason we're doing this episode, which is on Ethan. The last of the Mohicans. The last airbender. Well, oh, there's another last. That might be our next one. That's our next one. Yeah. If you have any recommendations movie. of movies that begin with the last, yeah. Um, because of course, Better Red Than Dead did a fantastic episode on the novel The Last of the Mohicans, uh, which I was forced to read in eighth grade and remember getting a C on the in-class essay <laughs> because I wrote about like the father-son like relationship between like. Hawkeye and uh, um, Uncas or something. And they were like, what are you talking about? They're not biologically related. You can't do that. Um, <laughs> uh, good. I think like I basically got a PhD in English out of spite. From, from, middle, from that point. middle school English teacher fail right there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I was supposed to be I was supposed to be like collecting blood from everybody and like just running like 23 and me is on them, apparently. Um, but we, we saw they, uh, that you guys did that episode, which was great. And, uh, you know, we, we thought what a great opportunity to have you on to talk about the adaptation, uh, by Michael Mann, of course, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a director that, you know, people mostly probably associate with like, kind of like crime mob movies, you know, think movies like thief move, movies like heat. Uh, but then, uh, you know, in the middle of the nineties, he gives us, uh, this, this James Fenimore Cooper adaptation starring, uh, Daniel Day Lewis. Um, and, yeah. uh, yeah. And, uh, Tristan, I think you were going to start walking us through it, right? Well, yeah. You yeah. Introduce yourselves, Tristan, Katie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yes, I'm, I'm tr- Yeah. And Megan, do you want to say, I mean, we, you, you introduced the show. Do you want to just say like you are as a as, as an intellectual or whatever the fuck i thought i did when i said i wrote a lot of stuff and you did okay yeah no okay. one's ever read it read it okay. uh what's the official what's this what's this what's the state sanctioned version um i am an assistant instructional professor and um my professional right my writing is on um u.s multi-ethnic literature and literature and photography and labor and um really at the end of the day we can all just acknowledge that you know i'm i'm just a a weed mom with a dream of a better world <laughs> amen to that um 
Uh, yeah, I'm Tristan Schweiger. I'm also an assistant instructional professor, same place Megan is. Um, and I'm a, I mean, at, like what I got did my dissertation is like 18th century stuff, um, which is part of why I am really into this movie. Um, but you know, now I, you know, yeah, I don't know. Like when, when Megan said we we <laughs> to dream of a better world, uh, I, I aspire to that as well. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> I think that's three for three then on on that. Um, <laughs> and I have uh, not not one kid in sight that I'm aware of. Um, but uh, I'm Katie Krivikolsky. I'm a first year PhD student at NYU in the English department. Um, I work they on... they made you do it again. Like a bunch <laughs> of schmucks. Do it again. Just, yeah, back to the, back to the year one. Um, but I work on uh, consent to religion and literature. Um, mostly 18th and 19th century American. Uh, and yeah, so this is this is squarely in the the wheelhouse of things that I like that then got 90sified and and produces all <laughs> kinds of uh, other emotions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, yeah, and if you so yeah, no, so I, I did I did say I would do the summary as a you know, as, as, as a fan of this movie, I feel like yeah, Katie, Katie and I are fans. Megan, Megan thinks it's not good. And it's not, it's not like Megan's not, it's not like Megan's wrong, but, um, <laughs> but, uh, but I would say, I, I mean, I think that we must acknowledge how much better this is than a source material, which I'll, I'll get into. Um, and yeah, if, if you're really a Cooper head, which I, like what, why, I mean, I'm kind of, I'm curious to talk to you about this. Um, you should listen to the episode that, that we did where Katie talks about the novel very knowledgeably. I'm just like, like there's cool shooty guns and yeah um anyway. you, you're doing it with cooper spirit <laughs> yeah <laughs> how yeah. are you gonna do this movie when all the you know they have canoes and that's about it <laughs> yeah with the, the ship, yeah you're right it's the uh the the, the royal navy is sadly not central to to uh, yeah um yeah. but silly scottish accents yes, another there are so, Tristan silly scottish accents mm, yes thing. yes yeah um yeah. And just to say, we are all about on this podcast the dialectical unity of good and bad. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. Bad movies are good. Good movies are bad. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This is what we're all about here. Yeah. So, uh, I, you know, I can't think of a more perfect movie to get at the core of that <laughs> than a adaptation of uh, one of the worst novels I've ever read. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, uh, you know, somehow, you know, processed through like Michael Mann in 1992 looking around and being like, like the Soviet Union has just uh, collapsed. <laughs> the Berlin Wall has fallen. Like the information economy is on the rise. It's time to adapt the last of the Mohique. <laughs> yeah, 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 I know. Yeah, it's, it is a weird, it is definitely a weird, a weird sort of moment. Um, I'm just putting this in because I won't, I'll forget it if I don't mention it now. At some point we should do the, far far worse adaptation of the scarlet letter oh yeah Ooh, yeah yeah we should the one, that, <laughs> the one that my 10th grade english teacher covered the boobs in the witch scene uh, with his hands <laughs> <laughs> just ran all around the little tv just putting his hands over all the boobs is this the demi moore and gary yeah. oldman one wow this wow. poster looks oh my god <laughs> gary oldman's hair in this they end up alive and together i feel uh, like when we did the Scarlet Letter is one of our first episodes. I feel like I tried to to watch that and just uh, just failed. But 
There's also a new Netflix movie of uh, Lady Chatterley's Lover, which I um, have not been able to bring myself to watch. Yeah, that sounds um, I, uh, upsetting. Okay, wait, in many I just ways. got. I'm Bash. sorry. I just have to interject. Like, I know this is this is kind of off topic, but the guy who directed this Scarlet Letter adaptation also like his first film was The Killing Fields <laughs> with fucking Sam Waterston. <laughs> Uh, Ro- yeah. Roland uh, yeah. Jofi, uh, Jofe or something, and he also produced Super Mario Brothers. In <laughs> that is the thing he did immediately before the Scarlet. <laughs> oh wow! What a career! Yeah, this guy is totally in the Your Tall verse. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, wow. Um, that is far wackier than the idea of Michael Mann doing this. Um, but anyway, uh. Yeah, so I mean, maybe I'll just start by acknowledging um, some of the really visionary innovations uh, Michael Bat had for adapting Cooper, and and I think they are visionary. So, like a lesser director would say, "Who am I to fuck around with the words of a great auteur like James Fenimore Cooper, who, of course, has a Jersey Turnpike rest stop named after him?" I mean, this is you know, this is a man of great literary weight. Um, you know, if if he if he wants Hawkeye to say, as a white man with no cross who for 30 years has hunted these woods approximately 800 times over the course of a novel, that's what we have to go with, right? But 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 Michael Mann was like, no, I can do better first. What if? What if the plot made sense? <laughs> Maybe the idiotic scene where Hawkeye puts on a bear costume and everyone thinks he's a bear for real. <laughs> Um, maybe we cut that and replace it with Daniel Day-Lewis and Madeline Stowe being extremely hot instead. Um, <laughs> maybe they actually don't... they did film that. They just uh, the unused footage was was put in uh, Nicolas Cage's The Wicker Man. <laughs> oh, right. Of course. Yeah, yeah. I, I do want to see Daniel Day-Lewis method act the original Cooper. <laughs> <sighs> All right, Daniel, you need you need to be as just pretend you're the stupidest person you've ever met and wrote a novel. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Maybe we maybe we don't need to have a scene where the principal characters mistake a beaver dab for a human village because, oh, my God, that's the stupidest fucking thing that's ever been in a novel. Um, though I, I am going to like, well, actually this, uh, because I went to a talk a, a few months ago by Lynn Festa, who's this great 18th century at Rutgers on how the beaver in the 18th century was this huge conceptual problem because political theorists looked at the way they do construction projects and were like, oh, oh yeah, um, these seem like political agents with complex political societies. Oh. Like they were really freaked out by the beaver, um, it, you know, which also it coincides with the beaver being hunted to the brink of extinction in, in the fur trade. So, you know, I, like Cooper's one of those, right? He was, he was thinking about a lot of things that aren't dumb, but he was dumb. And so they became dumb in his novels. Right. This is another one of those, like, a threat to the Calvinist logic of human superiority that Moby Dick fucks with, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. No, like, people in the 19th century were doing cool things with this stuff. It's just, you know, our our boy is not one of them. Um, I love it when, like, smart critics rehabilitate a book, though, to be like, it could have been smart. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Um, 
Yeah, and I, I feel like overall Michael Mann is really trying to Walter Scott up this story. So I, you know, I don't, <laughs> I, I don't know how big of Scott fans your listeners are. We have a subset because of me, me being on the show. But like, you know, Scott, Scott actually is 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 good. Um, and and yeah, so like I feel like Mann was like, what if Cooper had been a vastly smarter person and vastly better writer? What could we do with this story? Um, and, and Walter Scott would definitely have leaned into the hornist around Hawkeye and Cora. I mean, I think that's, that's, a, that's a given, um, the brunette princess. Yeah. She's the brunette princess. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's a, that's a famous Walter Scott dichotomy. The, uh, the, the, the safe blonde versus the dark Celtic, uh, princess who makes, makes you horny in a, uh, in, a, in an unsettling way. Um, but, oh, yeah, uh, that absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's this is this is not my position. This is the position of the Walter Scott averse. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, and Hawkeye would not have been Scott's protagonist because Scott would have given us some ridiculous fail son who's like for some reason the close third perspective. But Hawkeye would have been in the Walter Scott version of the story. It would have been Duncan. Yeah, yeah, it probably would have been Duncan. Like Duncan would have, yeah, the the, the bumbling Englishman who just arrives in this unfamiliar setting, and and yeah, that's that that is the Walter Scott arc. Um, but yeah uh okay so the movie we start with these misty mountains that are supposed to be the finger lakes region of new york uh but it's actually north carolina because upstate new york in the early 90s is too much suburban sprawl like there were too many planes and electrical wires they had to cut out so instead they filmed <laughs> it in the in the uh in, in the smoky mountains yeah he said like they couldn't find any old growth forest that they could pot like they found like two acres that they were able to use at one point that, <laughs> yeah. like, there's like just none of this uh you know on the east side of the mississippi so but they did i did hear i was listening to the commentary from michael mann they apparently got like planes their flight paths to be changed to not oh my God. fly <laughs> over this film set so That's there wouldn't be contrails in the air which I don't know how they manage that, but cool. Can you imagine you're like, you're like, you know, just on like your red eye to Chicago. <laughs> yeah. And the pilot's like, hey, sorry, it's going to be another hour. We have to like uh, deviate there. Yeah. Michael Mann's making a movie. <laughs> That's a high budget movie. If you can actually get the FAA <laughs> to alter flight paths. But. Speaking of high budget, one of the things that the, I don't know if anyone's going to say this. So if you are just shut me up but um they hired a guy to tell michael mann to hurry the fuck up because um <laughs> like that was the guy's full job because the he kept doing like ten thousand takes of everything yeah. and the studio finally just hired a guy to be like move along michael and that's all he did just stand <laughs> right and i think every kind of dork needs that like a move yeah. along michael that should be just a job oh yeah yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Um, yeah, I mean, if I had been trying to make that, I would have needed that because this is 18th century dork heaven. Um, <laughs> the real question is why there isn't like a burden of dream style documentary about yeah. how to Michael Mann made this movie. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I would watch it. I would watch the <laughs> shit out of that. Oh man! Um, also, on the, on the, like not using upstate New York setting. I just watched uh, the the Val documentary, which I, I know you have, Megan. Um, on the next so one, the the Val on the Nexium cult. Oh yeah. Yeah, and which the, the, that story is really fucked up. But like, what thing like in the initial? It's like that it's based in Albany. I'm like, wait, what the fuck? <laughs> you're, you're going to suburban Albany? It's like this like great spiritual center. Anyway, um, oh yeah, of course, it's it's very holy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but 
that. So, right. So we're not there. We're we're in North Carolina, but we're pretending that it's upstate New York in the 1750s. And holy fucking shit, the score. Uh, you know you're. Yeah, yeah. You know you're about to see some extremely damp shit. Um, I always say this movie is porn for 18th century dorks like myself. Uh, <laughs> you know, and I. That, yeah, that is what it is. Um, but there's actual porn from the 18th century. Well, yes, yes. <laughs> of of the of sexy the sexy in different ways. Yeah, this is sexy in the. Uh, I want to watch a action movie that I can turn my brain off for a little while. About yeah, it's not porn. It's not 18th century porn. It's porn for 18th centuryists. Yes, <laughs> very important distinction. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, do we need this 30 second shot just showing the costumes of the British soldiers as they're marching? <laughs> Like just no. their legs. I mean, yes, absolutely. we do. We yes. need that. <laughs> Double it. I want to see some gams. Yeah. Do we need that? No, but but yes, we absolutely need that. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, uh, so we get the mountains, and then eventually we're with Hawkeye, played by Daniel David Lewis, uh, Chigachgook, played by Russell Means, um, and I actually think this is Russell Means' first movie, which kind it of is, blew yeah. me away. Um, because he uh, was famous for other shit before that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, whereas Eric Schweig, who plays uh, Uncas, I mean, he this was, I think, his first big movie. Also, he's very young. <laughs> so, but yeah, Russell, Russell Means was known for other things. He's very dishy, and if uh, and if a person is watching this for Daniel Day Lewis, they are wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, okay. So the three of them are running through the forest, just balls out sprinting. Because they're hunting a buck, um, and, and as any hunter, I think will will tell you that's how you do it. Hunting is popular because of the full speed sprinting uh, you do constantly, not getting loaded with your buddies in a deer stand at five a.m. Uh, <laughs> uh, but but these aren't real. Yeah, the point being, they're real hunters, right? Um, Hawkeye shoots the deer, and that's how you know these guys are legit. Uh, so we've got we've got two real indians and one fake indian right i mean that's the that's the kind of trio we have here a man without a cross a man without a cross <laughs> uh but the and, and megan i know one of your great specialties is fake indians and in, in, in yeah. uh, better than better than real indians at being indian people <laughs> the the white libertarian we've all seen avatar the shape of fantasy <laughs> i don't i haven't seen the second one but yeah. anyway Oh, we saw it. All right. <laughs> oh, I heard. Yeah, yeah. no, I listened yeah. to yeah. it. Uh, 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 oh, and I man. felt like that's fine. That's enough for me. Uh, <laughs> absolutely. The last of the Mohicans film really like walked so that Avatar: The Way of Water could run <laughs> in terms of demonstrating to like white Americans that they are actually the superior natives. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh man. Following um, right on the heels of uh, of the um, Kevin Costner masterpiece, um, Dances with Wolves. Yeah. Yep. Another favorite of my dad's. It was, <laughs> oh, Dances, no. with, it was Dances with Wolves or it was Last of the Mohicans. That was what was on t- or the whatever Western was on. <laughs> but there are good Westerns. Did he know this? He knew there was Dances with Wolves. And- <laughs> I, I am sorry that your father is no longer alive, so he can't watch Ford Apache. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm sure I'm sure he's watching it in heaven. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually the only film they screen in heaven. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's like it's just like a it's like an old VHS copy. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, for sure. They're like, we have Henry Fonda here, and we're just gonna watch this one movie. <laughs> um, but so yeah, so so Chigachkuk and Ankus are 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 actual natives. Uh, at Hawkeye is the you know the white yes the the, the white uh, settler who who is somehow like yes and and this is from Cooper like the the, the more the more native than the actual native people. Um, but he he is he is good at 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 at, at Indian stuff and and maybe even better with the the pew pew rifle right like they, they all have special skills but Hawkeye he's the you know he he he's the one that knows how to handle the flintlock the best. Um, and, and I say in our episode on the novel, like, yeah, to, to sort of expand on that a little bit, um, in our episode on the novel, we kind of said Cooper is inventing libertarianism and the film doesn't not do that, right? I mean, it does, it, it, it's uncomfortable about doing it in a like 90s bourgeois liberal sort of way, but it's still doing that, right? <laughs> um. But yeah, uh, but, but the film does take some more liberties with the novel here. And, you know, again, that Michael Mann, visionary uh he's like you know what would be cool if hawkeye had a backstory so there's like some interest or effort to create interest around him and explain his motivations rather than just having him as this blank that rants for 400 pages across several novels um you know wild shit right like character development that's crazy (laughs) Uh, (laughs) uh, oh we have katie here to give fill us in on details about the other books if we want want Oh yeah, they're they're totally different from this one in the sense that in those he's different ages when he uh can shoot anything and, and speak any language and is the greatest uh white man to ever not be white. The most whitely in the whitest of ways. <laughs> they uh yeah, they they, they all of the title the, the titles are basically the same too, right? Like the deer slayer, like you know, yeah. Yeah. They're like, this guy's got a gun. <laughs> what about it? Yeah, yeah, out in the woods and shit. Um, but yeah, so that that's wild. We're doing character development, you know, crazy uh, that Michael Mann would take such liberties. Um, and the backstory that we'll learn is that Hawkeye's white parents were killed when he was an infant. Uh, Chinkachkuk adopted him and raised him as his son, along with Uncas. Um, and, no, he and didn't. Ha- Devin wrote a paper on it, and I got to see. <laughs> yeah, 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 sorry. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. I, apparently, there is some disagreement from Devin's eighth grade English teacher. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, and yeah, and and Hawkeye in the film calls uh, Chingachgook his father, which I don't think he does in the book. I can't, rem- I didn't remember that. But they- <laughs> Chingachgook calls him my white son. He's yeah. like, why are you resting my white son? <laughs> yep. Uh, but yeah, and so and so uh, Hawkeye actually only learned English when uh, Chingachgook sent him and Ankus to Reverend Wheelock's school, which is was a real thing. Nice little 18th century nugget. Katie's like rolling her eyes. Uh, <laughs> so, but 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 so yeah. So man really amps up Hawkeye's uh, sort of fake fake native person bona fides. Um, so Hawkeye, Chingachgook, and Anka stop at this farm on the frontier of of upstate New York, um, owned by their friends, the Camerons. And we start to get some situating dialogue. So we learn the Seven Years' War is on. Uh, we know there's fighting in the area between the British and the French and their allied native tribes. Um, and a nice foreshadowing moment and very unlike Cooper here, man tries to create interest in these characters, the Camerons that he's about to kill. Um, and, you know, I, I wish that James Fenimore Cooper back in time could could take notes on this. Um, 
the next day, the neighbors are there, uh, white people and native people. Like it, there's this, yeah, this very like amicable uh, <laughs> sort of tra- uh, interracial uh, amity happening. Very again, like in a, a very like 1990s liberal reimagining of like what American history could have looked like, kind of way. Um, which you know, again, I think, but okay, we still are stuck with the inescapable problem of the settler, settler colonialist presence. But we'll we'll just we'll we'll try to you know massage that a bit right um they just want to it. chill and play lacrosse that's yeah. all anyone wanted yeah. to do yeah and then yeah. the british came in and ruined it for everyone the, yes. specifically <laughs> the british government the settlers yeah. of course are just minding their own business yeah. everybody was trying to be nice yeah and then the niceness got broken up mm-hmm the village of npcs where they want to just throw balls around <laughs> yeah. and sit around a fire <laughs> give each other fetch quests (laughs) (laughs) that that is an important point though that i i think that the novel similarly does but probably for different political reasons is that the like the problem of imperial presence is i think very much cast as 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 you said the with as the british government and not like the white settlers um, which I mean, you know, it, like it's, if we're thinking back in like Cooper's day, okay, well, there is there is some kind of critique of the imperial metropole happening there, but it's also really letting off the hook a lot of other participants in this in this project, you know. So yeah, and the and the way this is like this is filmically staged is really important, right? Because it's like we are establishing this community, yeah, with the, the implication that this is stable, right? Yes. This is sort mm-hmm. of like self-contained, stable, yeah. Uh, will perpetuate indefinitely unless there is like an exogenous force, right? Yes. And then that exogenous force is the arrival of the British army. It's Jared yes. Harris. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, that's right. When he shows up. A mere 200 know. years yeah. before his suicide in a Manhattan skyscraper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, I... Yeah, the, I I know I remember being like oh my god that is that's Jared Harris and then I, and then forgot until you just said that Jared Harris is in this film. I think of him as being um, Andy Warhol. Oh, that's right. And he uh, didn't. Oh yeah, and he uh, that that um, that uh, uh, Doris Kearns Goodwin, uh, Daniel Day Lewis vehicle uh, Lincoln or the yeah let's go Lincoln right. He plays mm-hmm. uh, he plays Grant. I remember that as well. Which is oh damn, he just showed right. up all yeah. over history. Well, and I was I, like that was right when uh, he's the Forrest Man- Gump of uh, of American cinema <laughs> or British cinema, I guess. That was also when Bad Men was on too. So I had just gotten done like watching him play like Lane Price, and then watching him as U.S. Grant was kind of hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, good, good, good actor. Um, but yeah, uh, okay. So, uh, right. Um, yeah. So, so, so the the as I said, yeah. As everyone's having a good time. It looks stable uh, without you know if, if it's not unsettled by these other forces. And uh, but the, so the white farmers are basically debating whether they'll join up with the militia to help the regular British army. And Hawkeye is like, no, that's stupid. And and I mean, he's he's right. You know, I mean, in the terms of the film that historically, like, you know, don't don't tell the British army or the French army for that matter. Um, so next big scene, we're in Albany. Um, LOL. I don't know. I just I you might have <laughs> listeners in Albany. I'm sure it's I, there's just something about Albany is this presence. And again, I think the Nexium documentary that I just watched <laughs> might be played into that. But uh, they're at the headquarters of General Webb, who is negotiating with the leaders of the colonial militia. 
So the militia are like, okay, we will help you fight the French, but if we get words, our settlements are being attacked, um, we get to go leave and, and defend our homes. And and Webb's officers, including Major Duncan Hayward, um, who in in the in the uh, book is a Virginian, he is he's the 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 the, the Royal American Rifles or some <laughs> hilarious in name. This one, in this one, he is a virgin. Yes, he's a virgin Englishman. Yes, that's right. Um, yeah. So, and, and yeah, he like, the, he, he, he will be important, uh, this Duncan Hayward guy and, and the film makes him an even bigger hard on than in the book, uh, I think. And he, he sucks in the book, but the book doesn't know he sucks. Whereas the film knows this guy sucks. <laughs> and so he, you know, the, the, the other officers are like, God, sedition. Uh, but Webb is, is cool. He's more interested in treating us to some 18th century style intra-white chauvinism. So he's, he's <laughs> my like, favorite kind of racism. He's, he's like, of course you can go home. The French will never fight because they're both too Latin, ha ha ha, and Gallic. Um, I mean, it's literally, this is what he said. And, and I have to say, like, he, what the film is doing, like, that is what 18th century British assholes would have said about French people. Um, oddly doesn't own them for being papists, which that they kind of dropped the ball on. Like, he, he, she should have really played up their, their nefarious connections to Rome. The movie does that though with the demonic children's choir at camp. Yes, you're right. Yes, oh right. Yeah, yes, yes. Those oh the Catholics on the frontier. Yeah, you're right. That and I yeah. Thanks for mentioning that, Katie. I neglected that part. Um, but okay. But so the militia accepts these terms. They they agree to go to the the forts, and they're going to join the British army at Fort William Henry on Lake George. Uh, which the French are going to attack because Lake George is kind of the British route to Montreal, um, you know, up, up the Hudson River overland and then through the the, the Finger Lakes into Canada. Um, so Webb also sends the two daughters of the fort's commander, Colonel Monroe with Cora, again, played by Madeline Stowe, and Alice, played by uh, Jody May, to join their dad. And he sends Magua, played by Wes Studi, awesome, maybe the best part of the film, um, who is a, a Huron whom Webb thinks works for him to guide them. Um, Magua, of course, hates the British and particularly Colonel Monroe, and frankly, for very good reasons. Um, I mean, another thing I think the film tries to do is yeah, like give some more like give, give some more like overtly stated like reasons for 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 why Magua um, has this sort of uh, animosity and fixation that he does. Um, and he wants to kill the daughters to, quote, extinguish Monroe's seed and Monroe himself. Uh, so Magua leads them into an ambush. Yeah, okay. So fortunately, Hawkeye, Chagachgook, and Uncas, who have been tracking uh, the, the, the Huron party, come to save them uh, with some one of several just amazing Jerry Bruckheimer with Flintlock Muskets action scenes. Um, I mean, like, I'm, I'm, I mean, Megan's just slowly nodding, like, yeah. I can see Megan dying. <laughs> like i mean just as an example chigachkuk throws his tomahawk at some dude's back and kills him which if you've ever thrown a hatchet at a tree like we do in the country and i assume everyone here has done that right like uh <laughs> I mean, I, yeah 10 year old oh yeah get, get we, got, we got a gym for that on washington avenue but i can't say i've got <laughs> no that's that's the, that's the hipster fied version of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is, i'm talking how we do it in the country and, and then have to dodge like a dumbass when it bounces back at you um which yeah <laughs> i still think all the time about how you got your you got a sheep stepped on your head 
That's true. Yes, I did. When I was four, we had we had a sheep, a pet sheep, and I tripped in its paddock, and you know it just stepped on my forehead, and I had a foot hoof print on it. So ah. it's Delaware for you, folks. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, um, so awesome shit. Uh, Cora is also pretty much immediately hot for Hawkeye, and vice versa. And the audience is is uh, supposed to be hot for all of this. Um, and this is also extremely funny because Duncan proposes to Cora in one of the first scenes of the movie and she's like, LOL, no. It's this very like staid scene with this, like they have this like little like table set up in the field. Like it's like, you know, it's like we're simulating proper British society yes. here. Yes, uh, yes. Yeah. And it's just like, yeah, it's totally stolid and flat. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. The table in the field is is a stunning visual. It's it's in, insanely fucking funny. And then we get right after that, you get like the words that no older sister in a movie wants to hear except for this one, which is like, oh, I see your younger sister. Oh, my, you've grown up. Haven't you grown up? <laughs> the younger one's grown up. Not both of you are not making it out of this movie because you've grown up. <laughs> Yeah, I love we all we all love to hear how hot our younger sisters are. <laughs> it's the greatest of all compliments. Oh, man. Um, yeah, but but you are you are right about that, that the the table this uh, like, yes, this ooh, like polite English aside. I mean, which is yeah, it is just I mean, it, it is it falls flat and is flaccid along so many levels. Right. Um, in part because it's being juxtaposed to America which is hot and rugged. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, unforged. Okay, so, what's that? An unforged. Yes. Right. And engorged. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the six of them head off to Fort William. Henry, Alice gets super fascinated by a waterfall in some bizarre foreshadowing at the end of the movie where she throws herself off a cliff. Um, and I was texting you with Megan about this. And, and Megan, you're absolutely right that it's I mean, you know, we'll get to that point of the movie, but it's the it's the sort of um, the threat of like sexualized violence that it's like, well, suicide is the only way out of this. So that that is, I think, absolutely the subtext. But like where you first see it, she's just she, she's like, Hi, I'm the young sister. I'm the happy, fun one. And then she just sees a waterfall. It's like, whoa. And they grab her like, no, no, don't, don't, don't you know. So, it's the, the the way in which like whatever latent and i think like frankly racist fears are sort of undergirded this uh just gets very like bizarrely and kind of comically like unintentionally comically like uh yeah. psycho psychologize there or something but um yeah so they come across the cameron's farm and it's been attacked and the cameras have been killed Hawkeye, Chingachgook, and Uncas know it was definitely a, quote, war party and not a random attack because no goods were taken. Um, and the, so the only thing that's happened is the people in the, the house has been burned, but like nothing's been stolen. This wasn't like a, a raid for you know supplies or whatever. And uh, so Cora's is like, aren't you going to bury the dead and gets very mad when Hawkeye says no. There's this 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 tense scene, which, you know, absolutely is building to like a sort of sexual tension where he like turns around and says yeah, they, they were not strangers and they stay where they lay. And we're like, oh, that's so that's so dark and badass, you know. <laughs> but, uh, um, so and, and and so Cora, of course, um, is uh, yeah, th thinks, oh, my God, this this guy is so mysterious, hot. Um, that night they're lying next to each other. And I think at this audience, the, the, the moment the audience is like, yeah, we, this, we like where this is going. This is what we paid to see this movie for, yeah. right? What are swelling violins for, if not this? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and, and Cora asks why they wouldn't bury the Camerons as if it isn't completely fucking self-explanatory, right? <laughs> and, and Hawkeye says, well, if there were graves, trackers would know they had been there, which I mean, yeah, like I get, I don't think we really needed to have it explained, but. I like how they also though, like the, they had no qualms with just like noping out from like this battalion of British soldiers that <laughs> lay dead in the middle of the road. But they're like, we got to bury the settlers though, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. That, that's right. They have. I had forgotten. They have actually left a big pile of dead bodies behind <laughs> it without much thought about it. Yeah. yeah. Um. So yeah. Uh. So okay. Not only is Daniel Day Lewis hot, and he's got the romance novel cover hair, and he's super awesome with a musket. He also has this mysterious woodsman's knowledge. Like, whoa, right? I mean, <laughs> this is just getting damper and damper. Um. <laughs> She asks him why the Camerons were living on the frontier, and Hawkeye says they were ex-indentured servants, and land in the, quote, wilderness is the only land poor people can afford, and they could live, quote, beholden to none, not living by another man's leave. So we do have an interesting class slash settlement claim here, though still obviously embedded in federal colonialism, and kind of going in the libertarian direction, much like I sort of feel like Cooper was as well, right? Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, but you do get some of it. You get the sense that there are like there are economic compulsions yes. that are structuring this settler colonialist activity as well, right? It's not yes. it's not purely like a moralistic issue. It's like an economic one as well. Yeah. Um no. so like, yeah, like you say, that gets expressed in this very kind of like like for lacking a a a more socialist vision, right? That you you're going to end up in a libertarian space when you yeah. when you're doing that. Yeah, no, definitely, and I think that is a good point. That I mean, we, earlier we were saying that the the sort of uh, like like force forcing all of like kind of colonial violence on like oh, it's the presence of the metropole like lets a lot of other stuff off the hook. But I mean, I think the, the economic weight of the metropole is like a real and centrally important force in imperial structures. I mean. That that is you know that that's right and and that and that fucked over a lot of people at many different levels though that the answer is not then that there's a nice and kind version of settler colonialism right <laughs> but <laughs> but but you but I think it is true I mean the film is at least trying to sort of think about those sort of like economic structures um in in, in a way that I do think I mean you know, there's there is some sort of interesting point there it's just the the politics of around it are like yeah. um okay well it's um, interesting um. Sorry, it's interesting to think too, just like just the larger like to to think a little bit just about like the larger Michael Mann filmography here as well, right? Which like mm -hmm. like this isn't that different from like the Heat thesis in a certain way, right? Right? Of yeah, like yeah, yeah. you know just like you know, <laughs> but instead of bank robbers who are like you know kind of depicted as these like you know the this vanishing working class of yeah. like you know a, a, like that that are becoming obsolete right and they're running out of places to go running out of places to hide you know it's like <laughs> michael mann is like you, you get the sense that he kind of sees a kind of like historical continuity yeah. from these kind of like libertarian settlers to these sort of like the way he kind of like hagiographically hey, depicts uh criminals as also these kind of like not exactly anti-capitalist but like you know, within capitalism, people who find like the little, the little uh, alcoves in which to uh, inhabit. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think that's a great point. And I, I actually, I hadn't, I hadn't really thought about like his other filmography along those, like, you know, at, at this specific moment, but yeah, but that's, yeah, that sounds right to me. I think that's, I think that is, that's, a, that's a really good point. Um, 
but yeah, so so Cora is getting very turned on for Hawkeye and vice versa, and she's also getting turned for that's right, America. Quote, it is more deeply stirring to my blood than any imagining could have possibly been. It's like, okay, we, we know where this film's going. Yeah. Right? Um, yeah. And uh, can we just acknowledge for the fact that the first time when you think they're going to consummate their love, yeah. what happens instead is like he's a guy with a half ponytail telling a creation story. <laughs> like, in the, and you just like you just think like who among us hasn't been in this situation <laughs> where like you're just like trying to you know and some guy with a half ponytail won't shut up. Yeah. <laughs> well, and he's like, and then you see, them. and then like Ian Curtis killed himself, but then so they become New Order. Right. And then. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Shut up. Uh, um, okay, so so they they get to Fort William Henry. The French have already laid siege to it. Uh, the force is led by General Le Marquis de Montcalm. <laughs> uh, our pal did the shit out of it um, at, at digging trenches closer and closer to the fort. Uncle Toby from uh, Tristram Shandy uh, would would be extremely into this scene. Like this, <laughs> you know, this, this is what Uncle Toby spent his whole life trying to recreate it in, in, in mm-hmm. Walter's uh, backyard. And Michael Mann just does it. Cinema, although Toby, I'm sure, would have been like, that's, that's not what a rampart does or whatever, you know. But anyway. Um, we got a two-parter on Tristram Shandy. People should people should great, check it out. Great novel and great episodes. <laughs> and great movie, believe it or not. Yes. Yeah, with uh, with Steve Coogan and Rob Ryden. Yeah. I, I actually mm-hmm. I taught a course on Tristram Shandy last year and we started with that with that film. Um but uh yeah, so they're they're moving the trenches closer and closer. When they get 200 yards away, it's basically all over for the British because then they're in range with their mortars and they can start lobbing explosive shells over the walls. Um so so shit is getting dire. Um Hawkeye sneaks Cora and Alice and Duncan into the fort, though, um, and the, which even in the novel, I think, like, why this? <laughs> you see this happening, you leave. <laughs> You're not like, oh, let's <laughs> let's get more civilians into the middle of this, right? Um, but yeah, Monroe is shocked to see them, and I, I mean, like, yes, so I think he should be. Uh, but Duncan tells him none of Monroe's messages about the siege and made it to General Webb. So like M- Monroe is expecting relief and Duncan's like, we didn't even know like this attack was happening. So they send out another message asking for reinforcements. Meanwhile, Hawkeye wants to tell the colonial militia about the attack on the attack on the Cameron so they can go defend their farms. But Monroe says, no, there's no proof it was a war party. And Duncan lies to back Monroe up on this. He's like, yes, I agree. There's no proof it was anything other than sort of like random frontier violence. Um, Hawkeye is furious and, and tells the colonials anyway. A lot of them decide to leave, but Hawkeye stays because he's like, yeah, pretty sure Cora Cor and me are, are, are about to get it on. And, and they do. <laughs> Um, it's, and it's it's hot. There's lots of fiddle music happening. Lots of very heavy strings. Uh, they have more clothes on than anyone <laughs> has ever had on. They put extra layers on. Yeah. Well, you know, we we are we're we're kind of doing a film version of like a popular. Uh, like actually got widely printed 18th century novel, right? We're not doing John Cleland. We're doing like Walter <laughs> Scott, right? <laughs> doing, yeah, so. But what we're also not doing is the romance novel of the 20th century. Yes. That this yeah. deserves. Yeah, no, that's, 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 that's very fair. But this did get an R rating though, I think, didn't it? 
This is the heart eating, maybe, though. This is the violence, yeah. It's definitely not for the sex. That's pretty tame. Yeah. That's yeah. A, yeah, that's yeah, it was a, rated R. Yeah. yeah. Okay. You're right. There, there, there are. There Did are Michael some... Mann do that on purpose though? Because he's Michael Mann, and he's like, "Fuck you! I don't make anything but R-rated movies." <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, but Hawkeye, of course, gets arrested for sedition. Uh, Cora tries to intervene on his behalf. Duncan is again a hard on about it. She's like, "No, this is not happening." <laughs> we're, I yeah, we're we're not getting married, bro. Um. But the French mortars are in range now, and shells start fucking their day up. Uh, so Montcalm asks for a parlay and is exceedingly French. It, it actually a fun. I mean, this is a, this is something I I do think is like a kind of cool cinematic moment. Like the differences between the two sort of like uh, aristocratic cultures, where Montcalm and his like brilliant white regimentals like like walks up and he takes his hat off and does this very flourishing bow that goes almost to the ground, and then Monroe, the dour Scot, just like nods at him. You know, it's it's like ah, oh, I yeah. see. Yes. That's France versus Britain right there. Mm-hmm. And, and France is so important for this. Like, and like, we, you know, if you go back to our episode about Prey from, uh, which I think was like the oh, season yeah. uh, two debut, right? Which also deals with like, you know, the French colonialists. Yeah. Like, like French colonialists serve a very important function for like settler colonialist US cinema. Oh, yeah. Which is like, it's kind of this release valve for like, well, we can all agree and like make fun of the French and look how silly they are. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that kind of like you know kind of sublimates some of the some of the larger issues. <laughs> Historically, it is funny though where how that happened because like in the you know the U.S. War of Independence era, I think it well into the Napoleonic era, it was like France are our friends because fuck the British. But then at some point, like the like the the gross ass Anglophilia takes back over, and then it becomes like oh oh like our big brothers in London hate the French, so we got to do that too. You know, it's 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 very it's mm-hmm. it's weird how like the U.S. starts like replicating like a British kind of position. But I mean, it's not that weird because I mean we are like the like a legacy of the fucking British Empire, you know, but. Um, and again, that's not in no way trying to defend the French Empire here. It's just it's mm-hmm. it is kind of weird the way like U.S. sort of like biases of that shift from like the early 19th century into like the, you know, what what we have still today, you know. Well, because, you know, they they wear fancy they wear fancy clothes and yeah. and, and look gay about stuff. Well, yeah. And I, and I think in the 20th century, it gets like caught up with a bunch of like red, red scare bullshit that like, oh, they're they're mm-hmm. commies. Even it's like France has had gallus governments for most, you know, most <laughs> of the current republic. But, you know, uh, but but they have like, a you know, a, a reasonable work week. So oh, they're they're pinkos, you know, but yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so um, DeForest Kelly has to come in and do a little little speech here. No. Defo- what? Where? Where's the, the stupidest what? Scottish accent that we've ever? The most intense. Bad bastard. <laughs> Defo- wait, I, wait, I'm missing the DeForest Kelly reference. Oh no, I'm just saying that it's like this kind of Scottish accent that makes paint peel. Oh, okay, I got you. I sorry. I was like, wait, was DeForest <laughs> Kelly in this? Like, how did I miss that? <laughs> There's only one stupid Scottish accent in this movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. Um. So he shows, uh, yeah, so so Montcalm shows Monroe an intercepted message from Webb, where Webb straight up refuses to send reinforcements um, and de- for reasons that are a little bit opaque. I, actually, historically, like there's a lot of debate, like, wait, why he could have relieved this fort? Why didn't he do it? Um, probably because he's, I mean, he seems like he sucked just as <laughs> in a lot, of, a lot of different ways. Um, 
Not DeForest Kelly, the Scottish guy. What am I talking about? That's, I was trying. I'm like, oh, oh okay. you, yeah, yeah, you yeah. mean uh, who played James Dillon? Yes. 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 Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. I just oh, mixed up the names. Together now. Yeah, no. It's like McCoy. When did McCoy do it? Not McCoy. It's fucking <laughs> Scott. I'm yeah, anyway. Yeah, I'm yeah, giving yeah. her all she's got. Yeah. That's um, what I'm talking about. Yeah. 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 I just like completely ruined all Star Trek credibility that any of us had. And so, like, no one's going <laughs> to listen to our podcast for the rest of ever. I feel like if all you're right, mixing well, up the yeah, actual but, actors' names, like, that indicates a familiarity with the property that, you know. Okay. It's yeah. not the, it's not, the, I know the character's perfectly fine. It's just the, yeah. In, in the Kelvin timeline, it was who? What? What? <laughs> <laughs> If I had said uh, Simon Pegg, then I officially would have been axed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, so Webb's not not gonna come to the fort. Uh, Duncan says the men would rather die than spend the rest of the war in a, a prison barge in Hudson Bay, which honestly sounds right. <laughs> I mean, that's, Justin, that, what's that? You'd rather not be in a boat in a prison barge in Hudson Bay. Like oh, I'll let that would go. You know. <laughs> How are you going to get there? How many miles of, of of taiga do you have to march through to get to it? You know, but um, yeah, uh, but but Montcalm offers very generous terms of surrender. Uh, no no POWs. They get to keep their guns and their their colors. Uh, you know, so their 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 honor. Um, and Monroe agrees after calling Webb out for being a coward with an extremely Scottish accent. It's like, never did I think I'd see a British officer again. You know, <laughs> refuse to. Yeah, anyway, it's 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 great. A lot of very very high high military feels happening there. Um, but shock, it's a trap because of those perfidious Gauls. Uh, see, Montcalm is strategizing with Magua, who is kind of pissed about the surrender because he wants to kill Monroe and his entire family. And the film is clear that Magua kind of has a right to want revenge on Monroe, uh, and, and beyond just the broad structural reasons, which frankly are plenty reason enough. Basically, British soldiers attacked his village and killed Magua's children. Uh, Magua was taken as a slave by the Mohawk, who were allied with the British, and Monroe was the commander of the army in the area. So he holds him kind of like personally responsible for this. And Montcalm is, I mean, he does some like, oh, please don't don't do that. But then it's like, well, <laughs> they surrendered. So, you know, you know, chill, right? But Magua has no intention of doing that, and, and Montcalm isn't really bothered because he thinks, yeah, they're probably just going to fight me again. So I kind of am washing my hands of this. And again, this this is a, I mean, this 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 uh, sort of uh, attack uh, on the 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 retreating forces that that is that historically it did happen, and there is some sort of debate as to to, to Montcalm's actions there. Um, but but yeah, he's he's basically like they yeah they you know they're they were going to fight me again. You know, go have at it. I'm you know I'm I'm done with this. So Magua leads a Huron attack on, on the retreating Brits. Um, he does kill Monroe and cut his heart out like he said he would. And yeah, that might be the R rating right there. Um, in the battle, Hawkeye escapes and then helps Cora, Alice, and Duncan escape too. There is a pretty base canoe chase where they go <laughs> over some waterfalls. And, you know, Alice, again, is excited. She's, you know, yeah, the pole of the, <laughs> the abyss. Uh, <laughs> And then Hawkeye, Chigachkuk, and Uncas leave the daughters and Duncan behind a very scenic waterfall uh, because Magua is on their tail. They have no gunpowder. And Hawkeye reasons if they aren't there, uh, then there won't. If, if he, if you know, he and, and uh, Uncas and Chigachkuk aren't there, there won't be a fight. And this is where the gif of stay alive no matter what. 
right? Yes. They're behind the, the waterfall, and that's like the gif from Last of the Mohicans. Is that yes, yes, yes? Is that what right. he says? I'm like, no, yeah. I, paraphrasing. Yes, he says like they're gonna do really fucked up shit to you. They're gonna like <laughs> they're gonna do rape. They're they might do murder. They're gonna do yeah. it all, but yeah. just stay alive because I'll find you. Because I have the longest rifle that anyone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. yeah. Um, so Ma- Magua arrives, beats the shit out of Duncan. And I think I speak for the entire audience when I say we're fine with that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and he takes the three of the prisoner. Um, Hawkeye, Chingachgook, and Uncas track them to a Huron village. Magua is asking the Huron chief to let him burn the Monroe daughters as recompense for Magua's children. But Hawkeye enters the village and does this dick swinging thing where he basically has to run a gauntlet and get the shit beaten out of him. It's very like, oh, yeah, he he's 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 we already knew how tough he was. But look at that. Um, He then has this argument debate in English, French and the Huron language, which I believe is Wendat um, with with Magua, um, which is a very I don't know. There there is a lot of like claims and complexity around this. I I would be kind of curious to to, like who like who who can speak to whom. In that exchange, I think is is interesting in a way I haven't really gotten my head around. Yeah, and I think like I, I this is one of my favorite scenes in the movie actually, just because like the sound design is just great because you have all these like kind of like overlapping voices. Like mm-hmm. Duncan yeah. is translating, and like it's actually happening like in real time. You can yes. hear like things being restated in French, in English. Some of it's subtitled, some of it's not. Um, and and just sort of like the the kind of like linguistic chaos of that scene is like really palpable. Yeah. And West West Studies French is so catastrophically bad that sure. that anyone can understand it at all is kind of astonishing. So it's yeah. like yeah. bad language games too. Like there's just all kinds of I agree with you when I watched it this time. I felt like, oh, that's a really interesting way to do it. Yeah. Well, I and I don't. I mean, I don't speak French, but I knew like how bad like that French was. But I, and I think that works so well for the scene. Too, yeah, totally. Right? I mean, he's you know he's he's communicating in a very in in a sort of forced man. Like, I mean, he's real. He's trying to win this debate, but like linguistically, there's you know the 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 register it's in kind of keeps moving, and so I yeah. I mean, that's it's a fact. I mean, it, it's it's a really effective scene. Um, uh, so at one point, uh, uh, Magua, Magua says the Hurons can't rely on the French. Uh, they'll get in the French good graces of traitors. Um, I'm sorry. Magua says the Hurons can rely on the French, like the French are their allies, right? They'll get in the French good graces as traitors. And Hawkeye says, basically, um, you're you're going to be as bad as the Yankee, the Yankees, uh, <laughs> the French and their, 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 their masters who have, have uh, grown sick with greed. Um there's some jockey now as to who is going to be burned at the stake. Uh, the Huron chief wants to give Alice to Magua, release Duncan to appease the British, and burn Cora for Magua's children. Hawkeye offers himself for Cora, which Duncan translates as he, Duncan, wants to be burned in Cora's place. Um, Cora and Hawkeye escape, and Hawkeye shoots Duncan like as he's being burned to kind of you know end, end his pain. Um, very emotionally damp violent piece happening right now and i did i mean i'm curious what you guys think of that which and this does not at all happen in the book this is when the bear scene happens <laughs> the bear we're in a different yeah. world and there's a yeah. guy like singing hymns off key and tooting the flute and like 
But like, I, I take what ha- is happening is Duncan basically is like, yeah, I lost. Like you won, dude. And then, but then there's like, there's like this very like ma- there's like this masculinist honor stuff happening there. He also, I mean, legitimately, I think is trying to like make sure that the that uh, that the core and Alice get away. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, is it more to it than that, or is that pretty much what's happening in that scene? Yeah, and I mean, also just like I feel like just like on a formal level. Right. There's just sort of like this libidinal energy, you know, that the that the movie has been uh, generating. Um, and 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 as we've previously stated, Duncan is like is the virgin in all of this. Right. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, and like in a movie just, full of chads. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and it's just like but like his moment of death is also his moment of penetration by the long rifle. You yeah. Know? Yeah. yeah. And it, so it's like. Yeah. You know, he uh, he kind of, you know, the, the novel needs to do something with him because M- Michael Mann's universe cannot countenance virgins. You know? <laughs> so it, it carries him around as this sort of dead weight throughout the movie. And then it's like, OK, you get to like you get to like come once right. <laughs> and yeah, also yeah. die in like a single act. Yeah. Yeah. No, that I, yeah, I, I think that's the Billy Bud. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The right, yeah. The built the Billy Buttification of James Fenwick Cooper's terrible <laughs> novel. But uh, but yeah, you're right. It is it is very much the Virgin Duckett Hayward versus the the Chad Natty Bumpo, right? <laughs> but, Who is uh, the biggest Virgin of all in the books? Like, there's no bigger Virgin than than Hawkeye. Like, yeah, he yeah. is. He has no. His parents never even had sex. Like, he <laughs> came from nowhere and he's leaving nothing. Well, because he's basically like. His identity is like Eagle Scout, and I I I mean like of the Boy Scouts, right? That's like you could go in like like being a man is going into the woods and knowing how to tie cool knots and shoot around, you know, like that's it's basically like if I could if I could be at camp for the rest of my life, that's that's what I would do, you know. But I do feel like there's something different with how they take. First off, Duncan had overstayed his welcome by the point he is he is okay. dead. So yeah, yeah. bye. But I feel like you look at like modern property like this. This is really saying like Duncan, who is inherently British, will never be an American. So there's not going to be a scene where like he proves himself like, <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. wow, you're of the land now or something like he has yeah, yeah. to die. Yeah, I feel yeah, like yeah. in more modern mm-hmm. films, you'd have that they were like, look, you can also become an American through yeah. through your actions. And it's like we're not having any of that. Like, nope. Yeah, he's got to go. He gets the only funny time someone dunks on someone else in the movie, which is when Hawkeye explains how he's gonna go west. He's like, "Well, I'm gonna turn. I'm gonna turn. I'm gonna gonna go turn right and yeah, he's like, he's whatever." Like, yeah, yeah, he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, he's like, how, how, what do you mean you're going west? He's like, well, I'm gonna <laughs> walk north and then real sudden, like, turn left. Yes, <laughs> that's a great line. <laughs> well, when this was in theaters, I'm sure like the boomers just stood up in the theater. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. that scene. But, but you're, you're absolutely right, though, about his like that he could never be an American, which is I mean, the, like the idea, like who gets to like that, like the the white settler that gets to claim or like create this like bullshit autochthonous, which I mean, that is what like the fake native thing is 100 percent always oh, doing. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But it's so funny that it's like but being British means it's like all of you fuckers are British, like, you know, I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. It's, like, <laughs> but I, yeah, anyway, this is also like uh, where Magua says, um, and then we're going to find some other Indians and then we're going to get tough and yeah. Yeah. sack and Fox and we'll all be traitors. So it's like, yeah, um, that's 
interesting to me too, right? So he's sort of like presenting the possibility of a of an indigenous uh, persistence. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, definitely. Um, Whereas you know, is, like James Fenimore Cooper's whole bag is like the last of, right? Yeah, yeah. Yep. No, and right, and and the and again, like sort of one of, the, I mean, we'll you know we'll talk a little bit more about the broader, the broader politics of the movie, I'm sure, but like there, there it does in so many ways have the feel of like again a 1990s like Clinton era or almost Clinton era, I guess, like bourgeois liberal, like reimaginative America, and so like it's un the idea that like like the Coopers working with right, which is that like like native culture is like God, it's been completely displaced. Right. Like the film's uncomfortable with that, and I mean it does replicate it in some ways, which I'm about to get to, but like it also it's like oh that's kind of shitty, and, and but but like that what you just said, Megan, like that is a moment at which like there is like some kind of interesting sort of like political claim or vision or alternate possibility that that does emerge uh from, from it um which you know it doesn't really go anywhere but it is it's it's an interesting moment you know well i can talk about this all day but like liberal sentimentality in u.s uh liter literature and cinema is like contingent on the fake native like it's yeah. it's a it's a primary orienting figure yeah yeah, for sure. And I don't, you know, like we could and should talk about this relationship in this movie between sentimentality or sentiment and and its politics, but that's a, a, not what you're talking about. So sorry. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and but I, that is like the like the origins of the historical novel in like the 18th and 19th century. That like what you just said is like sentimentality is so much a part of of that. Um, uh yeah okay uh so just to wrap, wrap, wrap up the film uh final battle hawkeye chingachgook and uncas track magua's party and alice uncas somewhat unwisely decides to do a direct frontal assault uh which, which is pretty bad <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but 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 magua kills him um alice then throws herself off a cliff and we, i mean we already have talked about that a little bit but it is yeah i mean it it, it, it i don't know <laughs> it's it, it it reads as the yeah i mean it's the it's it's the, uh, like the dramatization of this like threat perceived threat of like sexual violence that's happening around in these very racialized terms and then like the only option then is presented as suicide right i mean that's that's right yeah mm -hmm. i think that's totally right i also think that what this movie's doing with with the presence of the feminine like mm -hmm. you know that alice is going to die because she can't grab the gun like cora grabs a gun at one point yes. off of a dead oh, guy yeah. and yeah. that's something alice would never do and never does mm -hmm. um and so it's like it's a very 90s thing of like the you know i'm like we have all these like heroin figure like at this time mm -hmm. um right around here so if you're a woman and you want to live you have to prove you'd kill to do it sort of thing right 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 yeah yeah that's no that yeah you're right that i like that that does I, yeah i feel like we do see that a lot like in, in cinema around this moment you know especially in historical fiction i would suggest that it's yeah. like a revision that is important to us in some way it's like the you know the lady needs to be able to take care of herself i mean sort of right 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 yeah no definitely i think that's right and not in a cool uh james cameron way to return to <laughs> <laughs> that guy <laughs> um so yeah so hawkeye and chingachgook uh they they hit the party from the other side uh 
extremely epic fighting, rifles being tossed and fired, uh, Hawkeye and Chagachkuk firing two muskets at the same time, like they're in a Schwarzenegger film, except it's Flintlocks, which is just wild. <laughs> totally possible. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Chagachkuk has this baller fight with Magua, where he does this cool-ass spin finishing move with his sword. It's very Mortal Kombat style. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and, and then we end on Hawkeye, Korra, and Chagachkuk, who, with his biological son, Dad, is now, yes, the last of the Mohicans. And so that idea of like the end of sort of native culture does come back in the film. But I, but I think like, as, as we were saying, as Megan pointed out, there are there are ways in which the film tries to like not fully follow that impulse. Although I don't I mean, I still think that's the, the world that that's the viewpoint that it's operating within in so many ways. Mm-hmm. Well, there's the stakes are different, I think, is what I mean, too. Right. Like, so Uncas being dead in the book is to some degree like it's not just last of the mohicans but also it's a way of curtailing the the potential for miscegenation right because he and alice have a crush on each other yes but um it's so but in this movie that it doesn't seem as fucked up about it's not fucked up about miscegenation because it doesn't identify cora as mixed and i put that in quotations so that's not its imperative yeah um and I always, Tristan and I were t- talking about this last night, but um, it's rather convenient that it's not in reference to the real person, Uncas, who lived to be like 95 years old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's yeah, se- and he's a 17th century person too, I think, right? Like he's uh, yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, but but yeah, inter- yeah. I mean, that's not like Cooper had read. He lived I- into the 18th, early 18th century, but. Yeah, yeah, but right, but but no, but he's, he is like the the the, the source is a historical person. Um, that like Cooper had read so much, like I mean, he did legitimately yeah. know a lot of the history. He just did not know how to, <laughs> to write a novel. Yeah. But but I, I just wanted to underscore something you said, Megan. For like people who haven't read the book, yeah, like in the, there's this there's this kind of to do in the book about the fact that Cora, like Cora, is Monroe's child from when he was in the West Indies, and her mother was you know has black ancestry, and she is so she is racialized in this way that the film does not at all follow. But like, in, I mean, one thing we talk about in our episode with the book that like one reason why it's Cora that sort of gets killed in that is that is like yeah what she represents is this sort of like outcome of like this fear of miscegenation has to be contained which of course you know i mean i did like er, like early 90s sort of liberal filmmaking that's not the impulse it wants to follow but like fears of miscegenation are still like present in other ways you know yeah. um I, or, or just like the legacy of that kind of like like racial panic is still present i think you know yeah and it's very strange because i find myself like you know, and I ended up watching this film twice. Um, and it's like, when you know that Cora is characterized that way in the book, like, I kept like thinking, oh, I've just like, I like zoned out during the part where they establish her. Totally. Yeah, I thought know? that too. And like, yeah. she is like, she's like the like darker featured one, you know, she's like the kind of, you know, she's the sexy dark haired brunette lady. So like there are these ways in which like, if you, if you know that already from the book backstory, you can kind of read it into the film, but the film does not actually establish that. And there's this way in which almost just like it, it wants to change that, that characteristic of her to just like, Oh, she's just like the really hot one. Like she's the one that like, like her and Daniel Day Lewis are just like, 
put put forward as like, oh, this is just like these are like the hottest people you've ever seen. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know. And then like she's there's the these Walter other Scott people. Heroine, really, yeah, like yeah, she's yeah. the she's like the brunette. Uh, you know, she's like a Celt or a yeah, uh, you know, just that. And then yeah. it's like the the characters that the film thinks are like slightly less hot, like just like that, like one dies and then the other just has to immediately die after. It's just like whoop, whoops, <laughs> it's like completely <laughs> Wait, forget about that. Uh, but it's like it's okay, don't worry about it because the the hottest people who just also happen to be white, uh, but also like have the knowledge <laughs> yeah. Are, yeah are 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 there and they are going to self-perpetuate all chads live <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly except for magua yeah yeah um like the dark chad though like you know he's like the the black pill chad and uh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> he can't, yeah. can't deal with him <laughs> but, no he uh, doesn't die because he's a midwest 10 instead of a new york or la 10 he yeah, dies for other reasons. Yeah. um the the walter scott comparison i think is actually re- sort like really interesting one because like cooper was a hundred percent reading walter scott's like oh my god i want to do this in america it's like bro you're not you can't you're not that good but but like scott you know so scott is like scott is this tory who's very into the project of like created the united kingdom um and but like luke like uh, georg lukacs was really into because he's like yeah even despite that he actually does get sort of how historical structures operate in a really interesting way but like what megan was alluding to like the 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 blonde brunette dichotomy in scott like basically every scott novel is structured by you have this dopey englishman who finds himself in this like near colonial setting you know usually in like scotland and there's a there's a very very like safe uh like sex love interest who is like the blonde kind of like saxony lady and then there's the, like the dark-haired celt who's like usually kind of, has kind of like a dom domness to, to her but it's like but this sort of like but this is also very you know the novel's very horny about but it's like you know in that like split of the two versions of femininity we have the like the like the celtic past which we can romanticize but must contain versus like the you know the blonde like br- like british quote-unquote future and like i definitely think cooper is trying to do a u.s version of that that has many added layers because of like you know actual racialization but then i also think the michael mad film is like comes out of a long history of this sort of stuff in 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 literature too you know literature and politics well it's perfectly also fine for like if this were a different movie uh or of the sort of like liberal sentimental native fake native tradition like a a white guy can marry a native woman right but there are like no other forms of miscegenation that are available in this sort of order and so that's like never gonna turn up in this you know like Mm -hmm. the other can be colonialized which is like a grotesque way to put that but but you know what i mean right like that's Mm -hmm. that's possible but like white hawk i couldn't be with black black no but uh ancestrally african diasporan uh cora right right Okay, so we're back. 
And uh, I think I think Devin. Yes. Um, people are sick of hearing from us. They want to hear from the real experts uh, out there, uh, who, of course, I'm referring to the uh, people who review on IMDb.com. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is a this is a little game that we like to call Vox Populi. And the way it works is I have to make up something different every week, apparently, is, is what we've fallen <laughs> into, which seems like a real crummy deal on my end. But yeah, what the hell, man? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but here's how the game is going to work this week. I've got three different reviews here from IMDB.com. And each of these reviewers have a gripe with The Last of the Mohicans. Some of these gripes are very specific. Uh, I am going to read to you all the title and like the first few lines of the review. And then the game is going to be who can best guess what this person's gripe is <laughs> with the last okay. of the Mohicans. Okay. All right. All right. And sometimes you said they're like really specific. They're not always just like the colonial impulse is too present. Yeah, they can be. They, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think that's, yeah, I had to skip through all of those IMDb reviews. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Megan, you took my answer. Sorry. <laughs> okay. So, uh, to get us started, uh, this first review um, from April of 2004. I, said, I, I, called, I always like to know. I always like to know when uh, these were written yeah. as well. So. Yes. So there you have it. This was given. Four. We're in the middle of like of the Bush years. Okay. Mm-hmm. Re-election. Iraq has just been invaded. Yeah. John Kerry is possibly dead. <laughs> and this person sits down and they watch Last of the Mohicans. And Tristan is a, uh, you are in this part of the world as a young and green reporter. That's right. Yes, I was. Yes, I was. I, I actually wrote about that, <laughs> like not the Kerry one, but yeah, like other people on the ballot then. This is the election too, where the John Kerry, uh, shout out to the Philadelphians uh, here, showed up at, I think, Pat's and ordered a cheesesteak and tried to get Swiss cheese on it. And <laughs> yes. like, it just... Like, okay, man. That's when I knew he wasn't going to win. That's when I knew he wasn't going to win. You can get provolone, though, right? There's like two choices. Provolone is okay. Okay. Even American people will will accept that some some places, but you really should get whiz or prov. Yeah. America, like, if you go to a random deli, if you go to a random like deli in the Philly area and ask for cheesesteak, you're probably getting an American on it. So it is an acceptable choice. But yeah, provolone whiz. But like, yes, no, sw- like, sw- <laughs> fuck off, cuz, you know. <laughs> you I don't understand shit, how this always happens. Like, yeah, it's a Obama did it too. You don't need yes. to order what you actually like. <laughs> yes. yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, it takes five, 30 seconds to Google, what am I supposed to do? You just order it, <laughs> deal with it. I I literally think that whoever's whatever aide's job it was to whisper like you order it with whiz. He's like he couldn't comp. Carrie couldn't comprehend this so and just Swiss, said Swiss. Yeah. It must be Swiss. <laughs> that sounds like yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, well, I want to hear it from these reviewers. We're in 2004, yeah. so we're just yes. time traveling. Let's see if all of this knowledge serves you well. <laughs> this person gave. Uh, the Last of the Mohicans, a two out of ten. The title of this review is "Would Have Ouch. Been a Good Movie, But Dot Dot Dot." 
Everyone knows the tale of the last Mohicans. The plot didn't change from the novel. For the most part, you see, I enjoyed the movie, except, well, not to put a fine point on it, you see, background. I'm gonna pause there. <laughs> I have no reason to use this voice for this person, but I'm just gonna <laughs> use a different voice for each reviewer. But So that is that person's a two out of 10 from April of 2004, the title, uh, would have been a good movie, but so and is that uh, is that word background? Is that followed by like a colon or something? Uh, no, a period. So oh, okay. <laughs> okay, but we're about to get we're like about to get like some kind of backstory for yeah. why this person yeah. gripes with the movie is. Yeah, I don't want to tell you of the movie. Of I don't want to tell right? you yeah. what it is. Oh, but, yeah, it was the person pissed about the telephone pole. <laughs> there's a telephone pole in this movie. Okay. <laughs> there's, there's a okay. There's a telephone pole in this movie. Um, it's one of the it's one of the bits of trivia that I looked up before appearing on this podcast. Um, <laughs> but there's a telephone pole in the background of a scene. There's also a breathing dead person, okay. which is incredible yeah. and a miracle. Yeah, I mean, I am getting from this a little bit of the like Star Wars uh, geek who is like, you know, you know, they forgot to uh, to to put in the lightsaber once, and so you see a piece of CGI pipe. I am getting a little <laughs> bit of that, but I also I don't know. It's like there's something that feels like this is either going in a racist direction or just mm. very culturally conservative. So I'm like I'm kind of wondering if it's like, but the novel didn't have the fornication that this film uh, sm smuts it up with. Even though, as we discussed, there is actually, I mean, everyone keeps all of their clothes on constantly, but I'm, that's kind of my guess. Except that Daniel Day-Lewis has the the deep V of the American Apparel deep V of yeah. 2004. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, uh, so, yep. I think he's a gun guy. This reviewer is a gun guy. And it's like, you can't, oh. you can't hold two guns at once <laughs> in this, you know. This, mm. it, yeah, the, the reloading yeah. wasn't right or something like that. Exactly. Yeah. I think this mm. is a, a mm -hmm. gun technology, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, guns and ammo magazine sort. Yeah. Okay. I, I hey. also just want to add one thing, if I could amend. I'm sure. going to say that this is a personal problem that this uh, mm. individual is mm. having. Mm. I think this is a personal <laughs> problem. Okay. okay. I'm going to say, so I'm going to go in a little bit of a different direction, because I think that your, like, southern accent that you lapsed into was actually, like, misdirection. And I'm going to mm. say, this person's actually, like, a Francophile. Oh. And, okay. and, okay. and they 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 have issues with the uh the the, the way that the french are being depicted in this film <laughs> they, they do not feel it is historically accurate okay um and or maybe they're like irish and just really hate the british and they don't think the film is is hard enough on the british but like well, like some kind I of like historical that. like you know um <laughs> uh issues with 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 the uh you know uh the the french and british depiction mm. Yes, all all good uh, suggestions there. Uh, let me go ahead and uh, finish this review and we can see uh, who gets the most arbitrary points by how close you all were. <laughs> <laughs> Has the little Walton Goggins score tabulator. Yeah. Everything in this show yeah. is arbitrary. So, <laughs> background. I'm an old bushwhacker. Grew up in the deep woods of Canada's northern forest since I stood the height of a squirrel's knees. <laughs> <laughs> the woods looked like the ones in the footage. Camped out, hunted the normal thing, just like the guys in the movie. So you know, that is much like me. So I know you see, well, I don't know how to say it. 
but every single scene, I sort of burst out laughing. It's ignorant, I know, but you see, <laughs> no bugs. Hey, a close-up Daniel Day-Lewis, no bites. How does yeah. it do that? Clean yeah. as a whistle. Everyone else in this movie, no bites. No oh. bugs. Couldn't get over it. And no seeums. If you ran around the forest all day, you see bugs everywhere. Yeah. All the time. From dawn to dusk. No forest on this planet has no bugs like that. Bugs are part of the forest. I'm so sad because I did, in fact, text that to Tristan when I first watched it, is that there are no bugs, and yeah, I was mad. You did. Wow. You did. You did. But I thought that was because it was filmed in North Carolina, and the South is, is like, just awful in terms of its... Like, it's worse than Albany. Okay, so you found Megan's review from 2004. <laughs> <laughs> wow. As a, as a college student, I had to write IMDb reviews. Yeah. 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 Can we find <laughs> and bring this person on the podcast? I am so yeah. fascinated by this <laughs> you know, person. No, I mean, I, and look, it's not like, that's right. I mean, I'm just, like, he, he's right, you know. Um, Very true, yeah. But but the the the, the, the quasi-Southern action was, uh, was misdirection. You should have read that in like, uh, as like Norm MacDonald. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, Grew up there in Canada, yeah. Grew up there <laughs> like, in, uh, you know, no bugs. <laughs> can, can you imagine cracking up through this movie and it being because you're not seeing bugs on the screen? <laughs> That's yeah. your my niece's yeah. drama is not enough bugs. Yeah. <laughs> All right, yeah. So Ethan, how are you going to dole out any points here, if any? Yeah. So, um, so the the whole uh, Frankophile one, Devin. I don't think I can award you any points for that because that was wrong. <laughs> um, I think that's fair. I... Yeah. Now, now, Tristan, I think you talked about the sexiness of the book, and I think that like the rugged nature of the bugs yeah. actually, in a way, um, is what he feels is missing, which is the yeah. the, the rugged sexiness of being in a real forest with real bugs. <laughs> he goes on to identify a number of different types of bugs in this review. Yeah. So I, I'm going to give you uh, one point for for that, okay. uh, Megan. Uh, the gun use not accurate. I think this is sort of along yeah. the lines, and yeah. the fact that you had pointed out the bug situation before. I'm going to give you uh, three points. Why not yeah. for that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I also feel this is a specific detail. So, Katie, I'm going to give you two points for sort of calling out the <laughs> like the, it's the minute detail that this person okay. has. So, yeah, yes. Yeah, so, uh, Megan, you're in the lead. Uh, Hell yeah! In, in the at the end with zero. So. Yeah, I have a long tradition of of never winning this game, even when I'm the only contestant. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, second review from also April of 2015. This review is titled "Very Poor Adaptation of an Excellent Novel." Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! That oh, it's who already likes this novel. It's is already it just... so wrong. Yeah, put yourself in that headspace. Wow. And this person begins. Warning, spoilers, they preface. <laughs> Having finally got around to watching this movie after reading the novel last year, I was compelled to compose a review to vent my utter disappointment in the movie. I'm going to just pause it there. That's all you're getting. What do you think their chief concerns are with this film? They gave it a 1 out of 10. Too sexy. Too sexy? Yeah. Um that they don't they object to the way hawkeye was characterized 
in that he why doesn't he say i'm a white man with no cross who's hunted <laughs> these woods for 30 years every time he opens his fucking mouth regardless of what it's like hey hawkeye you want a cheeseburger as a white man with no cross <laughs> who's hunted these woods for three i i killed my own dear meat and grinded it yeah anyway i don't know if it's too sexy or not enough bear costumes Mm. Oh yeah, yeah, that's yeah, and, and and also it doesn't show how uh, how 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 you know what a, what a wily hunter Hawkeye is, and that what the bear costume scene. Also, how come it doesn't make claims about how uh, beaver dams are easily mistaken for human structures? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and I, but you know, I do think we have to remember that that this film is coming out in 1992, which is five years before the Angry Beavers series has started. <laughs> yeah. You know, this this person is watching it in a post-Angry Beavers world. Okay, all right, so, fair. You know, I, I think they're being a little, they're being a little unfair, yeah. I mean, I would I would guess maybe, maybe also something about the, like the, the, uh, the changes to Korra, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe not liking those, or just, maybe yeah, just in general being like, this is like a schlockification of a great sophisticated novel, you know, reduced to like action and fun and enjoyable things to watch. Like, I, I am sorry, sir. They do not just hand out Jersey Turnpike rest stop names to anyone. No. You need to be a fucking intellectual to get such okay, a you, Molly Pitcher. Hello. You think she was just anyone? No, no, I don't. No, no. I'm going to, I'm going to say perhaps, um, okay. This person might be pissed about the same thing that I'm pissed about about this movie, which is that Daniel Day-Lewis did it too normal. He played Hawkeye (laughs) way too normal. He's not wearing... He's not wearing 900 beavers in a way that makes you uh, just regret being alive. He's not, um, (laughs) you know, there's, there's none of the, there's none of the weird stuff. And um, yeah, I'm going to say that's this person's balanced and normal complaint. Hmm. Let me tabulate all of this. Okay. Uh, So here's where this person continues in their one out of 10 review. Yes, it looks pretty, and yes, the music is beautiful, but I cannot understand the reasons for deviating so far from the original plot. The novel was perfect for a movie. Two romances, (laughs) multiple action scenes, conflict, death, and a unique central character. Yeah, that's for sure. (laughs) I quite like DDL in his other performances, but here he was so unlike Hawkeye in every way. (gasps) Damn, Katie, you nailed it. No humility, (laughs) quick to anger, lustful and arrogant. (laughs) Hayward was unlikable. He's unlikable <laughs> at the fucking novel too. Yeah. I mean, like the like Famously Cooper doesn't think he's character. Cooper doesn't think he's unlikable, but Cooper's an idiot. It doesn't know what's in his own goddamn book. Cora <laughs> <laughs> lacked depth, while Alice, Uncas, and Chingachka were dull and forgettable. No, all, you think Alice is... isn't dull in Alice? the book? Oh. Yeah. The changes in the romances were unnecessary, as was the introduction of the militia storyline. This took up time that could have been spent with the bear scene, probably. Uh, developing the <laughs> characters so we actually cared about them when any of them died. Which I think we talked that like they did actually do that in how they changed to the movie. This anyway. person has such an interesting brain. I think this is a high school senior. Like, 
I can only guess that the people who love this movie didn't meet these characters on paper first. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I think Megan's right that this 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 is like a high school book nerd that's like, oh, I read this 400 page dry ass behemoth, but I'm I'm going to pretend that I I you know I I really recognize its literary merit. That yeah, I, I you're right, Megan. That's exactly yeah. what's yeah, happening this, here. This brain is not developed enough to be able to withstand the pure Chad energy of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's like all the like the the inside out like style control room of of this person's brain. Just like everything's at like maximum. There's like steam coming out of the computer. People are pulling levers and stuff. We don't know what to do with just how how just badass and not giving a fuck this movie is. Yeah, which comes with maturity. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to me, this is like the boy equivalent of the person who writes their AP Lit exam on Pride and Prejudice and then is like, that movie, Kitty is not even a fascist. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. the guy, the whoever it is, Colin Firth or Matthew McFadden or whoever, doesn't look exactly like the Darcy I had in my mind, yeah. who yeah. is in the grand tradition of men who like mean nerds and (laughs) that 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 stretches across time and surely i 18 year old mean nerd deserve the hottest man possible yeah 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 yeah. no you're right that yeah this is the this is the, the 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 boy version of that so we're going into our last review the points as they now stand uh having run it very uh very consistently. Devin is up to two points. Tristan and Megan, you're both tied at five points. And Katie has taken the lead at six points. Yeah. Nice. All right. I've got to nail this one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you've got this one for all the marbles. You're definitely going to get it. Yeah. <laughs> this last review comes from also April of 2007. <laughs> What's going on in April <laughs> where people get this urge to watch last? Of the They're week. getting ready for the AP lit exam. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Yes. Uh, okay. So this from April, 2007, uh, a three out of 10. And the title is, I don't get it. <laughs> I don't either. That's and I'll fine. just give you the first sentence of this, which is, I'll give this a three out of 10 for trying to be an epic. So what is the gripe that this person has who apparently doesn't get it? Trying to be an epic. I mean, I don't even know what they're mad about, to be honest. I <laughs> just saw Troy, and that is a movie that yeah. does epic. Yeah, I think there's like, it's like that the war doesn't end in the movie or whatever. Mm. You know, it's like, mm. oh, this is supposed to be, there's supposed to be a war and a battle and a clear victor and a clear loser, you know, and instead it's like the war here is sort of like this background context for a somewhat more kind of smaller scale, uh, you know, conflict. I think yeah. I think this person mm. is like upset that it's like, well, what the fuck's going on in the war? Who's going to win it? I'm not going to look <laughs> that up. Like, how am I supposed to know what happened? So so this person is the most obnoxious version of me that my superego has developed over many decades to contain. It's like, no, stop that, you fucking dork. No one cares. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think this person is mad about, like, 
the nuts, guts, and butts factor, mm. that there's not intestines, that there's yeah. not like dangly 18th century balls, you know, that that you can't smell the movie as you watch um, it. Insufficiently syphilitic. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'd still like, okay, what does this person think Epic is? Um, oh man. I like yeah, I don't know. I honestly Lawrence I, of Arabia. <laughs> uh, yeah, 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 right. Or yeah, like Troy, like you were saying, but again, honestly, I feel like one of you guys has already hit on it. Uh, I'll, t- I mean, I don't know, like that spin move that that Chingachuk does at the end that I said was bad as Mortal Kombat. Maybe they thought it wasn't it wasn't serious enough because that's not what you would do with a sword in that situation, like unnecessary energy beatings. I don't know. Um, we're mad that the head doesn't that it's not more mortal yeah. combat yeah. and the head does pop off you know I don't, I don't know yeah this 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 viewer clearly was not watching the indianapolis colts in like the 2000s and 2010s like a spin <laughs> move does a lot of it's a lot of utility uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right so i don't get it three out of ten i'll give this a three out of ten for trying to be an epic the music that everyone raves about is frankly ordinary. Oh my God. Try a movie like Legends of the Fall if you want truly great music. It's the same fucking soundtrack. It's the same thing. Like... <laughs> feel like I'm getting Brad Pitt points here. Uh, yeah. You all actually hit on some very good things aligned with it. So, as to war movies, The Patriot beats this movie by a factor of 10. The Patriot is one of the dumbest movies I have ever seen. (laughs) Hopefully you're getting in the mind of this person now. Yeah. Uh, For one thing, Mel Gibson's character is a suitable centerpiece, whereas this movie lacks one. Some of the scenes. (laughs) I can't believe I'm defending this movie, but is Mel Gibson or Daniel Day-Lewis a better actor? Just empirically. Yes. Also, the the suitable, you mean the the Francis Marion, who's an abolitionist that that the fucking patriot like conjures into existence, like the the white, the white planner in South Carolina, who's somehow not racist. Like that, like that, like, (laughs) okay, this, yeah, I'm getting mad now. (laughs) If we fill a movie with Australian actors, maybe they won't know what's happening. (laughs) Some of the scenes are truly bizarre. Have a look at that tea in a field scene in the first hour of the movie. (laughs) Why on earth were they in the middle of a field having tea? That's the point. (laughs) Yes. yes, I have Uh, never done a date or thought about. Uh, And why did the camera zoom back to show us this highly improbable location you're right it's it, it is much less uh probable than the bear costume working <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like... this director's expanded edition dvd has a bunch of stuff removed from it according to other comments this is a major drawback and goes against the name director's expanded edition yet 19 of the 20 most recent comments give this movie nothing less than an 8 out of 10. most give it a 10 out of 10. This DEE DVD has no commentary, no extras of any kind. Why? Because this is one very ordinary movie, people. Man, I did not see the, the DVD coming into this. Yeah, I know, I'm yeah. Turning on the other IMDb. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Both. Yeah. Yeah. So, some, uh, some poor movies are sleep-inducing. 
Others simply fail to draw the viewers in. This movie is in the latter category. Without merits, frankly. The only reasons I can think of for the high votes are, one, the usual ballot stuffing by the studio shills, or two, those who love blood and guts movies and enjoy seeing realistic scalping scenes. What? Michael Mann makes great and awful movies. I've got the special edition of Heat and like it a great deal, but both The Insider and Collateral were immensely awful. No reason to see this movie. Rent something like The Prestige or The Guardian instead. <laughs> I did, like, I did, did, I, this person is so all over the map. I really, I mean, like, what the fuck? I mean, this is a good, this is a good um, lesson, I think, for any, any writers or filmmakers that you really can't anticipate audience reaction all that well because just people think weird, weird things. Um, I did want to say real quick, though, on the soundtrack, this is, you know, side detail that I learned doing prep for this. Apparently, so Trevor Jones did the soundtrack and apparently at first Michael Mann's like yeah I want like an electronic score which I guess like Chariots of Fire or like the Year of Living Dangerously mm. I mean there was a ton of that shit in the 80s but then like like I, this gets to like the bizarre timeline of this movie um apparently like two weeks before it was released or something ridiculous like this like no I actually want an or orchestral score and so Trevor Jones had to rescore the entire fucking thing but that violin shit that everyone including myself loves even though it's you know yeah. Schlocky. Um, yes, yeah, shit. <laughs> uh, was was originally going to be an electronic score, which is kind of, I don't know, different oh, wow. movie. Yeah. Where is the barber uh, adagio for strings here? Not yeah. doing the work of uh what's what's the movie that has that famously? Pl Platoon. Platoon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So, at the end after tabulating everything, it looks like uh, our final scores are um, everybody has 10 points except Devin, who has eight. <laughs> I feel like Katie has 12. Yeah. yeah. Congratulations to all of us also. Yeah. Well, if, you, yeah, if you'd like to donate a couple of your points yeah. to Katie so we well, actually have a yeah. winner, I, I, mean, I will allow you to do that. So I feel like that's that's just right. And also, Katie is the one who does all of the labor of writing our game. So it's it's, it's you a deserve game. a win. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I think you win. I've never won one of these before because I've never <laughs> played one. So no, you haven't. That's right. Me. You never had 105 episodes. You have never played the game. That's right. Wow. Because you write it. So <laughs> thanks for your points donations. This means a lot. I'm glad we could <laughs> savor this together, you know? And that, everybody, is uh, Vox Populi. All right, so getting back to the film, uh, something I'm thinking about is, you know, sort of this film as part of what kind of feels to be like this larger moment of kind of like revisiting the Western, revisiting the frontier, revisiting these Native American tropes in film that's happening in the early 90s as we're entering this kind of, you know, we're on the cusp of this like Clintonian era. It's like this post-Cold War era, right? And it's like, so you've got Last of the Mohicans in 1992, right? Uh, you've also got 
uh, two uh, Westerns winning uh, the Best Picture Oscar in three years, oh, right. 90 to 92. You've got Dances with Wolves, which obviously has a lot of shared sort of tropic issues with uh, with this one in 1990. And then two years later, Unforgiven wins the uh, uh, the Best Picture Oscar. And I think before that, it had been quite a while since a Western had won. I think there's only one other Western that's that's won the uh, Best Picture Oscar. Uh, and yeah, I think it was it was a uh, Cimarron or Kimmerin in 1931. Uh, so you go from having wait, did the one... searchers not win? That's actually pretty extraordinary. Uh, I don't think so. No. Okay. Um, so you've got you know a western winning in 1931, and then you go from one western to three westerns from 1990 1992. Uh, and then you've also got uh, you know a book like uh, Richard Slotkin's Gunfighter Nation, uh, which is this you know thorough examination of sort of like the myth of the frontier in 20th century Western cinema uh, coming out also in 1992. Um, So there's like a lot of, for whatever reason, just a lot of kind of like cultural discourse and even academic discourse and stuff kind of revisiting these kind of these genres, these tropes, these kind of like questions about Americanness and the settler colonial legacy and stuff all kind of happening uh, right at the moment that like history has supposedly ended, right, <laughs> and like Fukuyama uh, and 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 whatnot. So I guess I, I'm just kind of wondering what what everybody thinks about like that and sort of why that moment is happening, and then and then we can get into maybe like what Last of the Mohicans specific like politics within that um, within that context are. I think, and thank you. I really like the um, invisible presence of. Devin's boyfriend, um, Frederick Jameson, to this conversation. <laughs> um, <He's> my boyfriend. <laughs> everybody's boyfriend, Frederick Jameson. Um, I'm comfortable with with being in that polycule. Um, uh, I mean, I this is just a supplement to what Devin is saying, which is that I think this the sort of fake Indian tradition is so. Um, I mean, it's really persistent in U.S. cinema, but one of the ways that it really comes into being is in the seven is in 1970 with little big man and so this sort of way of expressing a certain version of whiteness through the fake indian who isn't like who is a white guy in the diegesis of the movie who's like made native by a particular um sleight of hand where he like joins them and and earlier at least with little big man it's like that's that's it's the like michael rogan thing right like uh escaping a certain other kind of racialization in favor of this but um i do think that the 90s version of it is so continuing this investment in like liberal sentimentality or like the libertarianism that like cooper invents Right. Like Kevin Costner is much more libertarian than Michael Mann to me. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think uh, like this movie just has to be taken as it's like 1992 Western. Yeah. And not and its historical effort is just a just doing the 90s. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. And I so. 
I watched the Cisco and the Ebert review of this because I was just curious. <gasps> it's like, you know, and awesome. like, what I mean, it's just it, it's it, it their whole show is so of its moment, like their opinions are so yeah. of their moment. But like one thing they were mad about is like there's all the, the romance storyline is dumb, and it's like, guys, the whole thing's kind of dumb. Like it's I mean, that's that you want people, you know, anyway, but it's but they, but the thing is like they're they were talking about it in very kind of liberal setabilizing terms of the, like the sort of like the what the, you know how how that viewpoint sort of tries to think about and contain the native but i think like one thing is what they they were like we wanted it to be doing more history and it's like okay to what end mm. and i think though that um that like my, to to the like what Devin pointed about the, out about the the resurgence of the western and then what you were saying Megan, like liberal sentimentality i mean i do think that one way you can understand this film with those Westerns is post so much of the political um, struggle of the 20th century, where like into even sort of like bourgeois liberal circles, you do have a recognition that, okay, like the Western is like so rooted in like manifest destiny bullshit like so much of like these big like quote-unquote american epics are doing versions of that that now like we we have like some some headway has been made that we are uncomfortable with certain directions of that so how might we reimagine them and and like i do think in last the mohicans you do get a few a few interesting moments i mean the point that uh that megan pointed out with magua where he's he's you know kind of mm-hmm. envisioning a different kind of political arrangement um that are actually really interesting but i think it's sort of it fails to imagine its way out of its legacy in that it does want to resolve it like not at the level of sort of like structure and you know sort of like material struggle but instead at this liberal sentimentalizing like what if we just felt different about uh u.s history and like Mm -hmm. what if we recognized more like uh thorniness of it and 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 that and and sort of like as this kind of individual emotive response to you could sort of um uh, reimagine U.S. history, which of course, as you know, as as Marxists, we're like, no, <laughs> like I mean, that's, yeah. you know, you don't like it, it, all of this is embedded in the structure. You can't just you can't just ha- change your feels about the structure and then things are fine, you know. Well, changing yeah. your feels involves casting actual Indian people because that means that like we can persist in our sort of like, oh, racism is like so right. sad. Yeah. It's yeah. so sad yeah. that there weren't any native <laughs> people anymore. And like it's yeah. just it's just really like sad and, and yeah. didn't they it disappear? Is... <laughs> and if they disappear, yeah. then why can't can't they be CEOs? Like <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. it is very much the psychosis of nine early nineties optimism and um, I think like one place where you see how very deeply 90s this is and trying to um, tr- trying to be like the West, like this was America such a good project. It just needed some tweaks. Mm-hmm. And the way the my, our way in here is the Western, which just needs a few tweaks. The ladies need mm-hmm. to be able to climb by themselves. Um, the the native antagonist has to get a few dunks in um, all yeah. of these things like like the the kernel of that is in that tyranny speech i think where daniel day lewis is is sitting in the camp talking about uh tyranny with all the people he wants to who want to desert and like the solution to tyranny is we all individually sneak away from tyranny 
quietly (laughs) through the woods in this way that like and then whoever is the best at getting away from tyranny will individually then do something um uh, who who knows what like what's possible then yeah you know and this makes me think back to um uh one of the (laughs) reviews that ethan read for us you know during the game but uh not to give that person too much credit right but this complaint that the film is not actually an epic yeah Yeah. and it's kind of like it it can't be an epic in a true sense like you know it has some of these epic trappings like it has music that reminds us of epics it has moments that remind us of epics but formally it can't really it can't actually depict like history on that scale yeah. Uh, and and still provide the kind of like liberal reconciliation it wants to provide. It mm-hmm. has to like go into this like the movie becomes physically smaller as it goes. Right. The armies yeah. literally get massacred. We're no longer yeah. dealing with big armies, big groups. We're now dealing with this like just like, uh, you know, like familial drama. Right. Um, and well, like, yeah. Yeah, and, well, and nobody think, wins, right? So that's no, going to yeah. fuck with your idea of an epic right from the get go. Well, exactly. and I think too, like this, like you know, in addition to um, just all of, the, I mean, just broad, like you know, colonialism and its legacies, the Seven Years' War as a thing goes directly to that. In that, like in many ways, the Seven Years' War is the first modern war, and that it, it was a truly global conflict. I mean, it was kind of the first world war. Its origins are basically impenetrable for anyone other than the elites of the metropole. Um, it, it is it's 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 just it's it's just absolutely nonsensical. And like, but that's not an epic struggle. Like the epic struggle happens because oh, this you know one hero fuck this other hero over, or there's this there's this identifiable villain that we must do. And it's like there the the empire the the, the villain of the Seven Years' War is imperialism. Across <laughs> across yeah. the globe, yeah, yeah, yeah. and like the ruling class, and it's like, well, okay, unless we're unless we're doing, you know, storming the Winter Palace hours, there's no fucking there. There's no space for heroism in that in the epic sense. There, you know, there's just there's no space for tragedy either. Yeah, like as the mm-hmm. other genre choice, which yeah. Cooper doesn't make that choice either. But for for the reasons I think we've talked about, like that that's foreclosed. And it, it's interesting how little um interest the film has in even like even attempting to explain the origins of this conflict right yeah like yeah. the conflict is entirely just this thing that happens it like it it yeah. has it exists outside the film and then just like enters into the film yeah. already happening yeah um yeah which honestly is, I mean, that like that's not that far from like a Lukacian point that like yeah. from the perspective of the, you know, this sort of like the, you know, the working classes or, the, you know, these kind of frontier settlers or the or the native tribes on the ground. It doesn't the, the causes are mystified and hidden and do just suddenly yeah. erupt into your life in a way. Well, OK, what the fuck now am I supposed to do? You know, so so that so that that is a direction that it could have pursued, I think, more interestingly, had it been, you know, uh, just had its politics been more robust and smarter you know well it does do the lukachian thing of no great man yeah yeah, yeah. right like yeah. nobody appears who's like oh the king has to make a decision about what yeah. to do yeah yeah and it's like even the 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 supposed like great men of this conflict can't even like they can't even get messages to each other right yeah yeah yeah, yeah, in, yeah. in a sensible yeah. way like yeah. they they can't even tell each other the fractured pieces of totality that they glimpse, yeah. uh, they cannot reliably communicate to one another. The communication networks are all yeah. interpenetrated with 
with spies and subterfuge and manipulation, right? And 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 also just like guys not giving a fuck. Yeah. No, yeah. yeah. Sorry. What 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 actual where I do again? Like I do think there there are several moments where I think the movie like verges on doing something really interesting. But like on that no great mad idea, right? Where like uh, in the in in the parlay with Montcalm, he's like he tells Monroe, he's like you have already done so much for the honor of your prince, and like right. which is like the heroic statement of like a, an aristocratic rationale for conflict which i mean it even the terms of this film it's like there it's no like the, the otter of george the second like that's what we're doing here like no like literally no character of that film you know not just as us as, as cobby viewers but like literally no character of that film buys that logic and so it's that is the sort of like epic value system that is like even in the film's own terms it's like that's ridiculous you know and that is a laugh moment right yeah. like the, yeah. because the french are so silly in that yeah. Yeah. he's doing like the silliest version of the french i think that actor is french but he's still do overdoing yeah. oh, yeah. the french accent yeah 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 <laughs> yeah um, like the french in particular have this capacity to like the french can be so french sometimes like it does it feels like they're making <laughs> yeah. fun of themselves you know like yeah. like yeah. He, he, re he really nails that aspect of uh yeah of it yeah. it also feels like I, lo I love watching because you referenced it, Devin, the um, like what is Oscar Batory in different historical moments? Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So like, ironically, right now, this sort of that that a, a bunch of people like business fucks could not understand what Parasite is about. Yes. Because <laughs> yeah. that it won the Oscar is like, yeah, did you yeah. watch? Or act, like Moonlight is actually the same. It's similarly like, wait, did you watch that movie? And in the early '90s, it's like you need swelling violins and um, and a Western trope, and you know nobody, not not a hairbrush to be seen for a thousand miles for it to count as as Oscar worthy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Right. This is a moment where like Woody Allen would never win an Oscar. Right. And not for like. The right reasons, but yeah, for, yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it, weirdly, Megan, what you're what you're saying, it just it makes me think of how impenetrable the movie, ironically, is. Like mm -hmm. that's what's that's yeah. what's kind of, that's what's like, um, in any way elevated about it is yeah. just that it's a little bit confused. It chooses to be confusing in a different way than Cooper does, and somehow that's the thing that like ties mm -hmm. the two versions yeah. together most tightly. It's also like just, I mean, all of that epic stuff is completely aesthetic and not a plot orientation, right? So it has a lot of the stuff that we've been talking about is about like it has the the aesthetic trappings of an epic and the score and the the like the costumery that looks very it, it's both like super elegant but also dirtied up in exactly the way that we want it to be. Yeah. 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 Right. So yeah, there aren't any bugs, but <laughs> no, that's the thing with the bug, the bug thing. It's like yeah, it's it, okay. Like I, you, you had, there was a moment where like any medieval film, like they were like, okay, the way we did medieval epic in the forties and fifties uh, was bad. You know, where everything's like all glossy and technicolor. That's you know that's bad uh, or that's stupid. So instead, we're just gonna throw mud all over. And it's like okay, this is more historically accurate. But it it some of it is actually kind of like watching some of those films is like. It's like, okay, I mean, I I kind of want to get sort of like, you know, 
turned <laughs> like what's happening here and like everyone looks like they have you know like plague right you know? yeah i want to imagine there's not feces yes <laughs> it's like i know yeah. intellectually there is but i mean it's but it also it's like okay like if you do very, very sort of quote unquote realistic historical drama, you're making you're making a choice about how it is that you want to think of that historical moment. And like Last of the Mohicans does, I think you guys are right, want to pay like some homage to that impulse while also maintaining the romance cover, like uh, potential of it. Yeah. Because that, I don't know. I'm just now I'm sort of obsessed with the historiography of the best picture, right? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, but, I've got the I've got the winners up here, right? And like, so so we should say Last of the Mohicans wasn't nominated. Yeah. Um, but you you look at like the winners of the '90s, right? And you've got films like so you've got Dances with Wolves, Silence of the Lambs is a little different, but then you've got Unforgiven, Schindler's yeah. List, Forrest Gump, Braveheart, The English Patient. You yeah. know, all in mm-hmm. a row. Uh, you know, there's, there's, and then like some of the, some, some of the other notable, you know, nominees. Uh, like Glory you know, is nominated, right? Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was. Yeah, yes, yeah. Um, and that's the same. Like I, I know it's not, but it is. It is. No, it's it's it is it, it is <laughs> Glory definitely follows a sort of like 1850s liberal sentimentalist uh, version of, of. But so uh, is uh, well. I mean, nothing is more liberal sentimentality than driving Miss Daisy. Like generically, yes. it can be <laughs> as different as possible, but that is like the apex mm. of liberal sentimentality. Yeah. 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 I know this is gross and I, I want to give it its full weight, but like, so is Schindler's List because it's like one guy saved however many hundreds of people he saved. And so mm-hmm. that's sort of like, to some degree, you know, like, good job, Liam Neeson. I'm sorry that 12 million other people died, but like, right. You get the thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's the, it's the famous uh, Kubrick quote, right? The Holocaust is about six million people who get killed. Schindler's List is about six hundred who don't. Right. Um, right. It's also yeah. like a moment of. Con- I always I get like fussy about you know like well it's six million Jews but it's twelve million people in the camps. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So yeah. when you not you Devin but like when a person puts it that way it's like mm, gets conveniently living out leaving out all the queers and Roma and communists mm. and absolutely yeah. And, and and it seems like something that like it's like it's like it just seems to me like like all of these films in the 90s are kind of doing something where it's like like the cold war has ended yeah right uh you know cinematic production during the cold war is is very tied into you know the cold war ideological project in in ways that are specific and and like like i mean direct as in like we're telling you what to put in the movie <laughs> mm-hmm. and and more and more like kind of diffusely ideological right which obviously still still continues you know the the guys get helicopters uh yeah. you know by doing very specific things uh they, but uh you know it just seems like like this this decade of like of and, and you know the 90s are actually a fantastic decade for cinema yes uh, yeah. And generally, the 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 cinema that we think of as like, oh, that's like the great '90s movies, is not being recognized here in these in these uh, awards, right? It's instead mm-hmm. these uh, sort of like saccharine, bugless uh, historical epics <laughs> that are are trying to sort of decide like yeah. how how now that history has ended, how are we going to remember it, right? Yeah, it's sort of like yeah. this question yeah. these yeah. movies are all asking. Um, and, and you know you get a variety of answers to that, but it seems like what is kind of what what people who want to think of themselves as making capital C cinema in a way that's palatable 
to the academy and to sort of like kind of mainstream film criticism are gravitating towards is this kind of you know yeah this kind of what we've been unpacking in in last of the mohicans I, I think we've got an answer for the uh, IMDb reviewer who was mad that the director's cut didn't have like commentary or whatever. Let's have Francis Fukuyama re- yeah. uh, do this. You know, <laughs> <laughs> he's been doubling down on the last last the I, end of history for thirty fucking years. I mean, I you know, hey, like tw- tweeting through it before that was even a thing, and now continuing mm-hmm. on the Twitter era, he's still tweeting through it. It's like, no, I was right actually. But, you know. yeah. And neither yeah. Frederick Jameson nor Michael Hart has a Twitter, so you know, <laughs> nobody to punch back. So anyway, yeah, uh, Ethan, do you want to introduce the uh, the Waltons? Sure. Uh, we uh, I guess in our our first season it was Shia LaBeouf's that we rated on, and then we decided to move on to Walton Goggins. Dan- I don't know, Devin, if there was a specific reason for that. The, like sp- like why Walton was chosen or I don't know we, we were drinking and we thought of Walton Goggins <laughs> yeah. I think it's actually great yeah yeah I, yeah. I mean he's yeah <laughs> what an actor it just what are the most distinctive looking people which he deploys so well <laughs> you know <laughs> but, yeah. uh but the the way that this works is it works any way you want it to work so there have been folks who have interpreted this rating system in many different uh and distinct ways so you can you know give a certain number of walton goggins a walton goggin from a particular film by you can give a actor or person that isn't walton goggins it doesn't really matter (laughs) it's more just to give an indication of uh what you're taking away from the film so uh i don't know if you want to kick us off devin with with your walton goggins sure um you know and it's like i actually you know i quite enjoyed this film you know it's got its problems obviously yeah uh i as saccharine as it is i love the score just like mm-hmm. and like just when like it says just like last of the mohicans at the beginning and you've got that those swelling strings like that just does it for me yeah you know some really great uh moments um magua is just awesome just fantastic mm-hmm. villain yeah. like uh you know they like he, he he reminds me a lot of uh you know like killmonger and black panther in terms of like villains in films who i agree with and mm-hmm. who are also yeah. the best parts of the films they're mm-hmm. in yeah, yeah yeah and and then the film has to kill them but you're like eh, we we didn't really want to uh but that said when i surveyed the field of walton goggins and i think how you know how do i best encapsulate this film i've got to give walton goggins as uh marty dickerson in 2005's the world's fastest indian to uh oh, represent damn. okay yeah. Movies that seem like they're about native people from the title that actually are primarily about whiteness. Yeah. Um, so, okay. That's my uh, that's my Walton Very Goggins nice. rating. So I so I, I I I am a fan of Walton Goggins. I don't think I have his oeuvre uh, on <laughs> the, to my head enough to be able to like pick a role. Can I do like a three out of four or four out of five Walton Absolutely. Goggins? Does that work? Okay. So I'm gonna give. West Studi, four out of four Walton guys. For sure. Because he's the best part of the film. He makes Magua from a like LMAO. What the fuck? Dude, did you do you know what a novel is? To do to, to like a really capelli character who does make some of the best kind of political points of the film. Um, I so said four out of four Walton Goggins. The, the, the film itself for West Studi for, for West Studi. Uh 
for the film itself, I would give three out of four. I like Devin. I do really enjoy it. Like, if you want me, okay. So it's like if you're asking me, like, is it good? You know, like, you know, are its politics good? Is it not saccharine? I can't. Like, no. Uh, you know, there are a lot of problems with it, as you said. But like, will I watch the shit out of it when it's on? And like, like, yeah, I listen to that violin music and look how cool that oh, they're firing two muskets at the same time. Yes, one hundred percent. So, so four out of four uh, Walton Goggins for West Duty and three out of four for the film as a whole well i respect that that rating and um and your rating system i'm gonna go a different way on the system which is that i how many teeth of walton goggins can you see at one time like ha- and so <laughs> you like know those are all teeth. fake right yeah. <laughs> he had every tooth knocked out of his head in an accident wow. i no, did I not know that either. was why Montgomery they were cliff fake. style yeah <laughs> i did yeah. that is uh, astonishing um so how many fake teeth of walton goggins like a full smile like a big grin or a two you know just two um i am gonna give it um a 75 okay. uh because it made <laughs> it, it makes you smile so wide um whether it's the score whether it's daniel day lewis with a deep V or even shirtlessly in one surprising scene, <laughs> um, whether it's for heaving bosoms or um, bosoms with a hatchet lodged into it. Um, I think there's something to like in this movie for everyone. Um, if uh, unless you like bugs and then <clears throat> you're shit out of luck. But it's a 75 for me. Okay. <laughs> I mean, God, I really feel like the like a downer over here because this is like a two out of ten Goggins for me <laughs> because he's Are... just like way better than this movie. First yeah. of all, he's in Lincoln, so mm-hmm. there you go. Oh, yeah, yes, he is. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. He is. Because the smattering of Goggins minor roles is better than this movie, <laughs> but the 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 number of Goggins major roles and i'm obviously thinking of boyd crowder here because that is one of the best characters in television of the last 20 years is just far beyond that anything this movie could ever do (laughs) and i don't care how good west studio is he's very very good but it's still it's still a two out of ten man the goggins catalog is really deep (laughs) (laughs) uh i think that's fair a little uh you know and and Feel free to leave a review on IMDb about it, because uh, there are some Hall of Fame two out of tens on uh, on that website reviews for this film. Yeah, just make sure you wait till April. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm studying for an exam. Oh, what about you, Ethan? Yeah, so I guess like a good lead-in because I was actually going to give this a Walton Goggins from Lincoln um for for this film which is perhaps obvious because you've got the daniel day lewis in both of those but i think like when you think about those characters that daniel day lewis is playing in these two films it's almost like these two things that that uh american film tries to present about the idea of america so you've got hawkeye being this like independent uh at living off the land just minding his own business but if you you know screw with him you will be murdered. Like he's going to take you out and get the woman uh, in the end. And like, you know, the, the last of the Mohican will be like, now I'm the last of the Mohican. And then they're going to pan over to the two white people kissing as the last scene of the film. Like, okay. And let's just reorient ourselves back here. Um, 
So you've got that, but then you have like the Lincoln, which is this like myth of like the great American statesman that just like says the says the right things at the right time and really is about uh like coming together across the political aisle to like make progress happen. Um and I think that like that's also a, a central character in uh the American mythos that that mm-hmm. I think Daniel Day Lewis portrays in, in that way. So uh, I feel like it it ties it together nicely. So I, I was going to give it a, a Walton Goggins from Lincoln. Um, yeah. Awesome. I put too well, much thought into it, I think. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. Uh, too much thought is what we're all about here. Um, so thank you guys for joining us. Uh, Megan, Tristan, and Katie, it was fantastic uh, having thank you here. You. Uh, please let the listeners know where they can find you, where they can find Better Red Than Dead. Once again, the only good literature podcast yeah. uh and uh our our uh, our favorite uh podcast including better than this one <laughs> so, <laughs> the favorite podcast of the yortel universe so. uh well i guess i'm going to do our closer without the notes in front of me so this will be um Devin always fails when he tries to do that. So I'm curious. <laughs> uh, you can find Tristan on Twitter at DJ Schweiger, Katie at Katie Crywo. You can find me at Tusslersaurus. You can find the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Better Red Pod and email us at Better Red Podcast at gmail.com uh, to tell us what your favorite Walton Goggins <laughs> role is. And Especially if your favorite role is the GIF from The Righteous Gemstones, that's just him saying, Go outside, nerd. Uh, that's <laughs> my personal favorite. Um, next up, we have Clotel. I think we're doing the money. Yeah, th- I mean, that is something we should say. We're we're on a little bit of an unplanned hiatus just with personal stuff, but we will be back. We we are making new episodes now. We will be back soon. I, I think early spring, right? Probably. Is that does that sound good? That sounds right. With the okay. variant noises of like, Tristan's yeah. kid, my kid, Katie's neighbors doing whatever forms of construction they think are appropriate yeah. on the <laughs> middle of a Sunday. Yeah. Um, I actually think we'll be back with the monk before we get to Clotel, which I'm excited okay. for. So, And if you were listening to this on our podcast, you would hear the closing music of revolutionary communists, the Redskins <laughs> doing their Lev Bronstein. <laughs> Yeah, and instead here you get to listen to some synthesizers that I recorded in about fifteen minutes once. <laughs> you know, uh, we don't get to hear the swelling violins of Trevor Jones. Uh, maybe maybe we could maybe we could put them in that this this week. Get everyone raring to go uh, whenever they listen. But uh, yeah, thank you guys once again for joining us. This was great. Um, you're welcome back anytime, whether collectively or individually. Um, and uh listeners definitely check Commander, out better for sure Dead. just bring oh, Tristan on for, yeah no we oh, should do yeah. that we we should All definitely right, do that just let me know when i'm coming back <laughs> <laughs> nice nice sorry to interrupt right. Devin. go ahead oh no of course uh and, and thank you listeners uh for tuning into your tall but i'm sitting in front of you uh you can find us on spotify apple Podcasts, or the podcast app of your choice and do give us a five-star rating you can follow us on Twitter at your tall pod, follow Ethan at Mathisippi, or follow me at Stale Cooper. If you have thoughts about what you'd like us to talk about next, DM us on Twitter or email us at yourtallpod at gmail.com. Thanks again. <laughs> <laughs>